see you've been chasing your monsters and they've been driving you bonkers just blinding with rocket launchers of light to blow what they conscious if you really want to juxtapose and take a darker color with the blush of rose and then you put it in your ink and watch it go your mind is always open when your eyes are closed because you're blind to color and you're blind to greed blind to all the things that you don't need and you find a mind and then you plant a seed then you nourish it a little You'll let build it free it Well, it's August 2020, and uh, from my garage, I want to welcome you guys back to the Whiskey Throttle Show. Uh, COVID's really kicking everybody's ass in terms of uh, business openings out here, so we're having to get creative. And uh, thankfully today, we're able to get Chad Reed to come in, uh, Supercross champ, National Motocross champ. Um, a legend in this sport for sure. If you guys did not catch his first part, you're going to want to watch that um, to just get up to speed to where we're at. Today we're going to kind of pick up where we left off and um, uh, excited to have him on. His story is, I think, unlike anybody. I don't think anyone's ever gone as long as he has with the success he's had. And, uh, amazing, amazing guy. So uh, it'll be fun to get back into it with him. Uh, I'm David Pinger. I'm your host. With me as always, GL. And we've got our producer, Donnie. Oh, off camera. I'll just <laughs> hey, Hi, what's up? So there he is. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors again. Couldn't couldn't get this show to you guys without them. And that starts with Yamaha. Um, you're gonna hear a lot of Yamaha chatter in these uh, chat read shows because he spent a lot of time there, uh, won a lot of races. But these guys make awesome products. Um, again, if you've looked at any shootouts, 250 or 450 in the last half a decade, Yamaha's pretty much dominating them. And uh, there's a there's a reason for that. Uh, amazing performance, unrivaled durability, and they don't just make motorcycles for the dirt. Man, if you're looking for side-by-side, -side, street bikes, watercraft, boats, uh, generators, generators, I mean, they make it all, and it's all amazing stuff. So big thank you to Yamaha. Get over to your local dealership if you're in here in SoCal, Langston Motorsports up in Paris. Is it Paris technically? Yeah, it was Sun City, but now it falls into Paris. Well, they can get great deals for you up there on all Yamaha products, so check those guys out. Also, a big thank you to PowerDot. Uh, if you're not familiar with those, look, you can't go to a chiropractor right now. You can't go get a massage. Uh, a lot of your physical therapy is shut down. This basically does all of those things for you. So, PowerDot.com, you get 20% off using our code WhiskeyThrottle on a unit. It makes it very, very affordable. And uh, you, you won't be sorry you got this thing. They're, they're amazing. Uh, Method Race Wheels, bringing you our front-end chatter segment. Amazing wheels. If you guys are looking for something, they're giving 20% off with our code as well. Uh, Troy the Designs, uh, all kinds of new gear coming out, new product line, new, uh, you know, they got a Yamaha and a Honda uh, gear t-shirt line. It's very cool stuff. Selling so well, too. Doing very, very well. They're, obviously, they're Adidas collaboration, which sells out quickly, so if you're into that, you better move quick. Uh, SKDA, normally bringing you our Get At Me Q&A segment, might be a little bit different today, but we appreciate those guys. Uh, they're just next level. Um, they're going to be launching something here in the future that I'm anxious to talk about uh, that's going to really change the game in terms of graphic design, but uh, go over and have a look at what those guys got going on. 20% off on our uh, Whiskey Throttle Show graphics specifically from them, so check that out. Big thank you to Adidas. Pro Circuit, if you're looking for a deal, man, I just saw 2014 and 2015 CRF 450 exhausts. 
marked off like 60, 60 or 70 percent. It's crazy. Follow them on their Instagram page. I think it's Pro Circuit 78. Yep. Is what it is. Um, amazing deals on there. Deal of the week. Um, and also all kinds of great stuff uh, over there on their website. Any kind of motor modifications, suspension modifications, hard parts, check Pro Circuit out. Uh, Dunlop Tires, bringing you just the best tire in the business. Nihilo Concepts, they're giving you a free gift with our code Whiskey Throttle. So get over there and look at all the great things they've got going on. Fire Department Coffee, 20% off. Seat Concepts, if you guys need a new seat cover or a whole new seat assembly, they make it and you will not be disappointed. Very, very comfortable seats, incredible durability. Um, those guys are just leading the, leading the charge there. Specialized Bicycles, whether you're riding the dirt or the street, kids' bikes, they make it all e-bikes. Uh, and they are the, the leaders in that sport, in that industry. So check out Specialized.com. And OGO. I want to thank those guys for just making the best bags, backpacks, suitcases, everything that you could possibly need for storage and transportation of your shit. OGO underscore powersports.com. Uh, great stuff. So uh, I want to get into our Method Race Bills front-end chatter. These guys bring you uh, just simply the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road uh, and all kinds of new colorways and styles coming out all the time so check them out 20% off using our code whiskey throttle over there if you buy a set of wheels it's a big saving it's a big savings it's huge um, two things I want to talk about first of all Loretta Lens is going on uh, literally as we speak they're racing uh, some of the first motor winners we've seen GL uh, Deegan which uh, it's always interesting watching his progression and seeing where he's at um, but there's definitely it's not always a good read because Guys will kind of bounce around from, from class to class and not dodge each other, but you're going to go where you're most likely to win a title. Uh, I, I was referencing in my days back there, uh, Craig Decker and Robbie Bernard were my two biggest competitors, and I signed up in both of the 125 classes. Decker rode the 250 classes, and Bernard rode the schoolboy classes. So we never even raced each other. We all won our titles. Uh, but, you know, that's so it's, it's not exactly always a, a perfect reading, but uh, interesting to see, as you mentioned earlier, some of the names... That we recognize. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's that next generation. And when you start looking at the results, you go, oh, wow, there's a lot of motocrosses who kids have gotten back into it. You said Deegan. Um, then there's uh, Boland. Max is doing very well. And um, I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds like I think if everything goes according to plan at Loretta's, he will be lining up again at Loretta's, but for the Pro Nationals. So that could be quite uh, fun and interesting. And then We've seen uh, Tim Ferry's son coming up. Um, so I just thought it's kind of interesting to look at all the names. You're like, oh, I recognize a lot of names anyway. Um, but to get to your point, different years, I mean, you know, you could be six months older or younger than one of your main rivals, and you might miss each other yeah. at a year because of when, with age, maybe you pointed, or, you know, you were too old or too young. So sometimes you have to, you know, look between and see who's racing who, but so far, it seems like all the kids of uh, former races are kind of kicking ass at the moment. Did you ever do a week in Loretta's racing? I've never, ever been to Loretta Lynn's. Oh. Well, That's about to change. Yeah, I will now. For the National, it's, uh, it's a radical week. For all the people out there, best of luck, best wishes to you. Um, you're always going to get a day of rain. It's going to be muddy. The humidity's crushing. 
It is so hot back there. I was looking at some of the video clips and you can see just black clouds in the background and some of the races, it's sunny and then some of them you look, you're like, yep, it rained, it's muddy. Oh, man. Hey, I, I don't know if I'd say it's nice to see, but it's kind of interesting to see that these guys that are touted to be really good, they're actually doing really well there. Yeah. And obviously their sponsors have to be probably pretty happy with the choices they've made with these guys over sure. the years. Yeah, it's definitely the biggest collection of amateur talent here in the country, there's no question. Um, and it rolls right into kind of the next section, which is the Nationals, which are finally announced. And they start right there at Loretta Lynn's. First round is in, well, when this comes out, it'll be probably about a week a week out or less. Um, and has, having been to Loretta's, and you'll see when you get there, it's a pretty small track. Like yeah. when they announce that, I'm thinking, that's a little, that's, that's not a good national track. You know, it's, it's more of a mini bike track, I would say. But... There are big areas where they have to use for parking because there's so many amateur kids yeah, that show up that, that will open up and, and as long as they have permission, <coughs> they can run the track out into these fields and extend it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to me to see how that plays out. At any rate, I'm just excited they've got a national series going up. If you'd asked me three weeks ago if it was going to happen, I said, I, I just don't see how. I just don't see how with this, yeah. where we're at right now. And uh, I know a couple of the rounds are no fans. Um, but listen, kudos to MX Sports for getting it done. Um, yeah, they had to jump through a lot of hurdles for sure. And, 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 you know, we've seen the one crazy thing out of this whole COVID, uh, situation is if you, especially motocross and even supercross, I feel like over the, the years, it's become so cookie cutter. Like we're going to go to these 12 nationals and the biggest usually talk is, Oh, this one's off the schedule and there's a new one every few years. At least one change. This time around, I mean, they just had to throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what stuck, you know? And and the, when I saw the schedule, I was like, ah, Loretta Lynn. And then I'm like, I get it. There's a lot of infrastructure being put into that for the amateur race. It's kind of a natural um, rollover from a big event to bring the pros. Plus, the kids that went there that maybe move up get to go now do this whole series so there's there's some different elements and factors that are going to be brought into the series this year that i think we haven't seen now people are going to have to adjust um i think that you know nine races in nine weeks is is pretty intense, pretty intense. In, the, in the in the real heat of summer right now i mean we could be at some races like florida um i mean any of them for that matter that could be extremely brutal i think riders have gotten less testing and training than normal so there's a lot of little factors. I'm curious to see how the guys can adjust. Um, but I think starting, uh, getting back to your point about the red lens for, for a pro race, I have had a chance to, to, to see a few riders in the last couple of weeks and just get their opinion because I've never been there in race. And I'm like, what's your thought? And a lot of guys are like, eh. You know, the red lens is a special place, but I think some guys are a little nervous going, yeah, I'm curious how it's going to be for a national track. Like, are they going to prep it much different? Are they going to change it? So I think there's some questions there, but the old saying, everyone's going to ride the same track. Yeah, and we're going racing. And we're going racing. Uh, so Hard to complain. I mean, it's going to be wham, bam, thank you, man. But I also think that, uh, you know, like alluding to what Donnie said, kudos to MX Sports. I think Philip also deserves a tip of the cap for yeah, what they were able, able to pull off. These guys had to go through a lot of hurdles. And I think sports fans, for once, there's been minimal complaining, which I actually thought was a nice relief. Everyone's just like, we're just happy to be racing. Yeah. You know, usually it's like, yeah, this sucks. I hate multiple networks. And now we're like, yeah, bro, we're going to race in this awesome. So, 
Yeah, if it was on 10 networks, everybody would be like, whatever, what channel we have to chase you? I'll go to that channel. So I think it is interesting, you know, a lot of times we'll see these amateur kids come out of Loretta's and go do their first national at Millville or whatever the next round typically is. But here, they have the opportunity to race Loretta's, stay right in place and race the very same track. I mean, with some changes likely, but that changes your rookie, you know, your, your first pro race because now you're much more comfortable with the track. A lot of the stuff, Oh, yeah. From the dirt, the conditions, everything else, you've got that comfortably kind of figured out. You, I think that'll change, like, for Max Bowman, let's say. I think it's the best thing, in my opinion. I mean, in, any one of those kids, they move up, there's that mixed emotions of, I'm kind of a big deal, I haven't been proven, I really want to do well, I'm nervous as all hell. Uh, you know, go to Hangtown, there's the press, and everyone's like, oh, how are you going to do? What do you think? And, you know, you've got to plan the speeches. Well, you know, I'm just happy to be here. If I get a top 10, it'll be solid, and I want to build off that, and blah, 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 that bullshit. Now, he's going to be like, well, <laughs> I feel pretty good here. The other guys are all questioning. They haven't raced here in a while. They've like, never raced there. Yeah, wow. well, not in many years. Yeah. And, not, and I think once you leave as an amateur and you've gone pro, things change too. Your speed level, the bikes, all that. So for them to come back, I, I personally think someone like Volan, it could be, he might be one of those guys, and maybe this is going a little too far, but he could be the guy that comes out and goes 1-1 one, one at the first round in the 250 class, and we're all going, yeah. yeah. But wait a second, he's never raced a 250. He's only been on a 125. He just started racing it. He just started riding a 250 like two this months year, ago. This year. No, he's been riding it this year. Yeah. Well, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and that's also assuming that he does go pro, but from what I understand, I think that is the, the plan on the sounds like. Uh, I think another kicker in this schedule is they've got that race in Florida now. <laughs> it was in June, May, June, very early, and it was still really hot. Now you've got it in like the dead, you know, nut kick of summer. <laughs> I can't even fathom how hot even it's going to be. I struggled as an announcer sitting in an air-conditioned booth because the air-conditioning was bad to keep up. And it was brutal last year. I mean, we yeah, were, yeah. The air conditioning isn't at seventy-two. Yeah. Uh, uh, can you guys send someone out? But I mean, it was just nuts. Even when we would go stand out to do our opening, I remember uh, we had to wait for like ten minutes while they got everything set up, and the sweat was running down our faces. And then the producer asked if we had spare shirts because he's like, they're saturated. You know, it doesn't look good. And we're like, sorry. But what do you want us to do? <laughs> we're just we were melting, and so. I saw what that did to a lot of riders last year. It put a lot of guys... Um, well, was it Sexton that won the first moto and it just crushed him? He could not even yeah. go second moto. Like, even Jade was like, man, I've never seen someone struggle like that. And he had been riding in the heat and he was in good shape, all those things. But it's just something about a national when you push that a little bit harder, a little bigger, a little bit deeper, and the yeah. track's sandy. And that place, it's surrounded by water, so the humidity feels like it's just heavy, thick air that sits there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, is there any other surprises in the schedule or things that you think will be sort of kickers? I, I did think it was kind of interesting to see the double header at Redbud. Um, I shouldn't say weird, but I mean, we've, we're starting to see that with this whole COVID thing, all kinds of motor racing are doing multiple events at the same venue. So, But we haven't seen that in our sport. But just looking at the schedule, we've got a Friday race and a Monday race. It just... I guess it's wrapping your brain around yeah. is a little bit weird. But here's the thing, too. Redbud can be, it could be pretty hot. I know at least up in Michigan area at that time of year, it's just starting to taper off. But it could be pretty brutal. 
two days to turn around and then race. You tweak an ankle or have a yeah. sore knee, yeah. that's going to be really tough to bounce right back. Did I know they were going to do something to the trap different? Were they going to do something to it, I heard? I'm sure they'll try to because people will want something different. Well, the problem there is you, you can't run it backwards because right. you'd have to hang a left 30 feet out of the gate. So I, I don't know what they'll do to change it. But the thing that could be t tough is if the first race on Friday is really hot and humid, to be recovered and ready to race again by Monday. And loosened up and not edgy yeah. and feeling good to go race on a Monday. It's or, a big stretch. if they're both really hot days, two nationals within three days of each other. Like, that's well, there could be some strategy on this, right? It's to rehydrate in that amount of time, too. You know, you wake up Saturday, you're like, yeah. you're you trying have... to hydrate. Sunday, you're starting to feel better. You wake up, you're hoping when you wake up on Monday that you... Well, you're gonna. They're gonna have to think about this strategy, long, long game style. It's like, are they gonna be putting out a hundred percent on Friday when Monday is gonna be there? Yeah, depending on the weather, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anxious to see what happens anyway, and stoked that it's going on. Uh, I want to send everybody over to whiskeythrottleshow.com. Uh, check out the different photos we've got under the podcast site, so you can listen to it. Also, scroll through some of the photos of each of these guys. Uh, big thank you to Temecula t-shirt printers for printing all our merchandise. If you guys are looking for new hats, tees, we got some cool stuff, including a Mike Metzger designed shirt, uh, all kinds of what we call the race team tee, the uh, factory tee, which is just the Whiskey Throttle logo on every different color of t-shirt, so depending on what kind of brand of bike you like, they got something for you. And uh, Mad Skills Motocross 3 is out, so get over and check those guys out um, if you're into gaming. And uh, that's it. Let's get into Chad Reed. We're going to get him on a Zoom call here and uh, get into part two with Chad Reed. Well, Reedy, welcome back. Thanks for getting back on the show. We, we just had way too much shit to cover last time to get it all done in one sitting. So we appreciate you taking the time to, to come back. Uh, when we ended last time, we, we were talking a lot about race teams and bike development, stuff like that. So I want to kind of pick up where we were in terms of your timeline, which was 2005, 2006. And like GL and I were talking earlier, those were some of the best seasons in terms of rivalries since the eighties, you know, cause we had you, we had uh, Ricky, we had Wyndham and we had Bubba, you know, four like giants of the sport going at it, like all kind of in your peak. And I don't think that happens very often. No, it was, I mean, definitely fun. Um, James went into the big bike class in 05, I think. Um, you know, and kind of like it's, we saw him in the mud. He was, you know, that your typical rookie where he was fast, but then he crashed. He was fast and he crashed. Um, and then fast as hell the next weekend in practice and then broke his arm right away. So we kind of had to, that was kind of like one person that we got to push aside in 05 a little bit. Um, and then Wyndham kind of, I think, rose to the occasion. And, that's when you really, I think, started to see, I think you already started to see it really, in all honesty, you started to see it in 03 when he came back from out of retirement and you seen how strong he was, but he was also on a four stroke and it was kind of like, but it's Kevin and he still got beat a lot. And then in 04, you started to see uh, him and I starting to go back at, you know, at it. And you started to see the glimpses of the four stroke starting to come into it. Um, and I think that that was just another step in 05. And then obviously fast forwarding to 06, we're all on them. Um, so that was kind of like the dynamic of all that was cruel too. You know, like you add switching bikes and yeah, like you add the four stroke power 
and then, which was unique. And then you have Kevin, who was very unique in his style and his writing. And that was really fun. And then you had Ricky and I kind of just, you know, scrapping, trying to get the most out of two strokes. Uh, Ricky was, Ricky was unbelievably strong in 05. I think it was one of the best years. I would say the best year that I've seen Ricky personally on a two stroke other than 01. Um, you know, when I think his first title was in 01 on the Cowie. Um, I think 05, you take Ricky, who is the greatest of all time. Um, and then you take a bike that was less than what I won on in the year before. And it was really hard because when I last raced Ricky, it was 03. I had Bridgestone tires and I had a Yamaha. Uh, on a steel chassis and and he had a honda on dunlop tires in those days um so it was kind of like he was taking a knife to a gunfight you know in my opinion and for people that weren't in the loop bridgestone at that time really yes. ramped up development that was the tire to have especially in yeah Supercross. i think yeah. i know uh, well, the most yeah i mean obviously the, we live in a fragile sport not talking shit on dunlop because dunlop has come so far since then but in that in that era Bridgestone was like, I wouldn't even say they were a step ahead. Like they were multiple steps ahead. Like they really were in supercross, not so much motocross, but I think in supercross, yeah. they were, they were generations ahead of their time. Um, and so, you know, then now you are, you know, now you aim, you arm Ricky with a set of Bridgestones, a really good bike on a steel chassis. Um, you know, basically a Yamaha engine in a, you know, in a, you, you essentially have my bike from the year before, same linkage, same engine, you know, really for the most part. Um, and then I had to deal with this aluminum frame that I suddenly was struggling with. Um, and it was always, it was like that. I don't know how, you know, like you always got to be careful what you do because it always comes back to get you or you always live your moment. Like, we lived through the Honda where it was like, you know, Honda was going through their growing pains of the, the aluminum chassis and all these kinds of things. And, and then here we are all the Japanese, you know, telling you, ah, oh, it's, it's like same and it's lighter and we're all excited. And it just, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just, if you knew what you knew now, I think it would be great. Um, you know, cause you would know that, Hey, these 52, you know, 50 mil forks, bell bottom forks, let's throw them in the trash can. Let's go back to 48s. Yeah. Um, you know, let's do all the things that we have learned 10 years, 15 years later. Um, and maybe let's go do what even Honda at the time had learned, you know? Um, and I just think that we were so new to it and we were hitting the ground running and, and it's just that, that same, the nature of the beast where, no matter how much you test during the, the winter, I don't think that you, everybody that you're riding with or everybody you're riding against, you know, the, the, how would I, like when you're comparing yourself against Villaman and Ferry, they're all on the same motorcycle as you. Um, so then like what I, what my weakness is now their weakness. Um, and yeah, okay. We can vocally say, Hey, we're struggling here. It doesn't feel like the same old bike. Um, you know, but the lap time difference between those individuals is all the same. Um, and so well, you don't really you ride your old bike back to back with the new aluminum frame. <laughs> Once, uh, I was complaining and I'm kind of like, I'm really struggling. Let me do a back to back. We did a back to back and immediately it just opened a can of worms. And it was probably, I wished, I wished that they used it. I wish that we could have all came together as a team and said, Hey, Chad, this bike, though you love it you cannot race it let's make that clear 
and then but but let's use it as a tool yeah. and let let's keep going back and forth let's try to improve our bike um but it's so easy to go back and say that stuff you know like i think at that point i'm what 22 23 years old um maybe i don't have the skills to communicate with the race team sit them down you know like back in those days i never went to the race shop you know i, I seen the guys at the test track when they told me i had to be there at 8 30 9 a.m and you know and then i'd go back home and do my training um later in my career i enjoyed going to the race shop sitting down with the race team communicating with them on a different level um but i wish that that we had that point of it because i think it would have been good to go okay we won the championship on this bike last year let's keep it around let's keep it as a rolling bike um let's ride it every once in a while and see if we're actually making progress um but yeah i think unfortunately they just were like this bike immediately i was like i was way faster on it. i was way more comfortable on it and then that was it they just took that thing away put it in his garage and we never saw it again um and and that's just that's the nature of the beast that's a that's an industry flaw in my opinion um the politics of the sport is where that comes into it. You know, you would think Yamaha would go or any manufacturer would say, whatever's going to help you win, we want you to have that. But it doesn't always work that way. And we've seen that over and over. And I think as a racer, you take everything, you know, you're working off emotion and it's like, what do you mean? I can't have what I want. You know, I thought we were here to win and do well. Well, As athletes, you just, and I think in those days it was more apparent than what it is today. I think that in, in general, everybody's okay to be good. Nobody really strives to be great anymore. Um, and I think that in that respect, every this time, you know, like I think that t- like teams give riders time now where I feel like in those, it was just, it's now, it's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. Let's win now. And, and that was how we were brought up. And that was the, that was the world we lived in. But um, so moving forward, it was just one of those things where we were learning. Um, but, but we were getting, we were getting beat up, you know, and it's kind of like, and it was confusing because I would say that in the past, my strengths were, you know, using my technique in the hard pack and the big whoops. Um, and then now suddenly this thing won't get any traction in the hard pack. It won't go through big whoops. Um, you know, every, anytime that there was a flat turn, which that year was like the first year when we started cutting berms down, um, and then we went to San Diego for the first time. It was, it rained. Um, it was one of those rain weekends where we got limited time on the track. It was really nasty, big whoops. And then suddenly it was all ruddy, nasty. And the bike kind of came into its own. And I was like, this is weird. You know, um, Daytona that year, that, still to this day, my win in 05 in Daytona was probably one of the best bikes I've ever ridden. And one of the best wins of my career. You know, I straight up smoked Ricky in his backyard um on one of the gnarliest tracks ever um and yet the bike was amazing that day i mean yeah you surprised some people that day i mean i don't think people didn't expect you to win but i remember watching that night i even i was like wow he just blew by rc and straight up well well the thing was is the week before we were in atlanta and then you know atlanta is either you go there and it's just like you know play-doh and it's super soft sticky or you go there and it's rock hard I think that particular year we went after um, monster truck. So the ground was rock hard. The floor, the base was just really hard. Um, I believe I was leading Ricky passed me in the first turn, which was a big flat turn. He crashes and then comes back five, six laps later, catches me and passes me in the same turn. 
And I just was like, dude, I'm out here riding with my hands tied. Can't turn this thing in the, on the hard pack. Um, and straight up just got smoked. Um, and then one week later I returned the favor, you know? So that leaves you massively confused because you're like, I know I didn't necessarily, I didn't do anything different. I just, you know, one weekend I could get it done and the next weekend I couldn't, or should I say one weekend I couldn't get it done the next weekend I could. And that was, that was pretty much the the whole year, you know? Um, but man, fun, like just, and then you float, you know, you throw Bubba back into the mix. Um, and I would probably comment on this one because it was the first real race, you know, like it was the first time that we all got to race. It was a, I feel like it was a couple of years of building really, you know, like the, the James versus Ricky, the, and then you add me into it was, had been building for probably, you know, since 2002. Yeah. I think they were calling that year, the perfect storm, right? Like that was the right. line for the year. Which, yeah. And then we showed up at Anaheim and it stormed. Yeah. Um, so it was the, it really was the perfect storm. So we get to Orlando and again, first time, I think it was the, my first time to Orlando, um, you know, and living in Florida, you kind of expected this, either white clay or red clay kind of dirt and we get there and it's just this it was like topsoil it was really weird it was really soft you raced that year i think you're on light bike gl actually you did race that Mm -hmm. is you did race because i remember you that remember that rhythm section out of the first turn and they cut it down after practice i think you ate shit in the heat race um you flipped it yeah, it was a main I, I event. Race by a mile, and then okay, and then they they did something. They did like a bunch of work, and they they kind of like it was. We were jumping from a small to a big, and I watched you like cartwheel it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they changed the track. <laughs> it was gnarly. Didn't tell you, but anyway, change. Yeah, so getting back to that race, it just the atmosphere was, and still to this day, I don't know that I've really witnessed anything like the you know as as a rider you knew what it meant, you know, like there was a different meaning, you know, James was back, Ricky, you know, I had won, I think the week before in Daytona. Um, and it was just like, okay, this is the part of the season, you know, like in Ricky's words, the series starts in Daytona. Okay. I won in Daytona. Let's go. And, um, and dude, the, the intensity was just through the roof. We all three of us went to the front and you could just see that like, like Ricky, very rare and very few times have I seen Ricky riding on emotions too. And he was just, you could see him. He was really kind of more erratic. He was pushing the envelope. He was pushing it. And it was like, all right, this is it. Like it's go time. And still, when I see it on video, I, I get excited about it. Um, and really seeing those two guys cartwheel it in front of me, I could feel the intensity myself. Like I was also on the limit, but somehow I was just, you know, like I, I hadn't made my mistake yet. Yeah. Um, and I seen Ricky lose the front and throw it down and then, okay, well then James goes, okay, Ricky's down. I'm going to up the pace more typical James. And you're like, Oh boy. And then you're just like, okay, go, 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 go. And then suddenly he cartwheels it in the whoops. And then at that point you just get a breath of air. You're just like, Oof, okay, now don't do any of those things. Um, and I still, and I'll take that one to the grave. It was just, unbelievable feeling and so hard to put it into words on how intense and how the emotional side of it and how much all three of us wanted to win yep. um and i feel i got to i got to claim that first win that was Orlando 05? yes yeah, so, yeah sorry i thought you were talking about daytona daytona i crashed in the main but yeah orlando they 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 took the 
the first jump down and it was like yeah. a step up and I came out totally. and I had got no lift. I didn't go up. I went straight into no. the, the third one and just, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. It was it the heat race? Because I feel like it, it was. was. First, it was, right? First, came out of the corner, had the whole shot, brew up. Yeah. Back to the truck, LCQ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this no, was the no, cool no. thing about um, that season is, you know, like you mentioned, people don't strive for greatness anymore or whatever. You guys just refused to lose. You know, you you were you went there to win. Nothing, not a podium wasn't going to be good. It was like you went there to win. And so to see you, the three of you, when you had those moments where you were all up front, it's like, yeah, you would all ratchet the level up to as high as you went until you grenaded you know but that was so fun to watch as a fan yeah no i mean when you think of mike larocco and how solid and how strong he was over his career you know finishing main events strong was never a weakness of his and the fact that the week before in daytona you know like that i was coming you know like i had a huge lead at the end and even then like i was coming up behind him and just like literally he was third place and i went over the checkered flag right behind him um just amazing you know to think like i think when i think of larocco i think of a dude that you know horrendous starter but really really strong at the end of the motos you know and just like when you're starting to lap a guy like that you're just like it was a that was a and, good weekend and it shows the pace that you guys had because there were there were a lot of races that there was probably a half at least a half a lap between the front three and fourth uh, especially like i remember in 03 you know i know there were a few guys were injured that year but you guys, you and Ricky were battling for the lead, stuffing each other and coming up to lap guys in the top five. And it was like, yeah. it made you really, made you realize just the, the intensity level you guys and are I, going at. And I don't think there's a lot of people that can can go that, put in that extra five or 10% and just go that fast. I think it's a very special thing that only a handful of guys can do. I mean, I don't, LaRocco's not capable of lap times like that. And no, that's it was, uh, like he's a legend, but... You know what I'm saying? It's very yeah, special and it, what you guys did. And it was just like, it's that, and I, I, I don't know, like it's so hard to be, explain it to somebody on like what you're doing or what you're thinking, but just, it's, it's not about like, you don't think, oh yeah, I'm going to win or it's not like I want to win. It's literally like ride until the limit and then try to go a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I think that That's okay. <laughs> I forget which year it was. It was 05, 06. Maybe it was even later, but I think it was Seattle. And you came in the first turn. I think Stu and everyone kind of pushed wide and hit you over the berm and you went yeah, I went over. That was 05, yeah. Yeah. And then I think I, I came from last to third, I think. But you were going so far. You, I, you, that was one of those where, you know. You one of the gnarliest, out. yeah, one of the gnarliest tracks that I had ridden, like as and far as like. Speed and aggression. It's one of those, I don't think you can plan for that. And like you said, when you try to explain to people, it is hard. But that was one of those ones I could tell you felt good and you were so frustrated you went down. So, yeah, you're just mad. Intensity, you were catching the leaders coming through the pack on a track like that, like you said. And I was going, whoa, if that was a 25-lap main event, that would have been so exciting at the end. Yeah, we needed 20-minute motors back then. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I hate them, but then you, you wanted them. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, like – and you guys are racist, so you understand it, but like you wish that you could bottle certain feelings, you know? And sometimes, sometimes when you crash and you come back, it's like you want to bottle it, but then sometimes you almost go that little bit too much. And then you just ride like an idiot and you, you, you try to, you know, you try to ask for too much out of every turn, every, every jump, and you really just go slower. 
but it was one of those moments where you you kind of like everything just goes quiet yeah. and and you execute and you know i remember going through the whoops in like seattle back i don't even know what you call the dirt back in those days but it's like it was like sand and it would just be one rut and i remember you know like everyone was kind of jumping them and i'm just like i just started wheeling and you kind of like in your mind you you acknowledge like don't drop the front because that's going to be really bad but yet you're just like just hanging off the back and you're just executing executing and you're just like man i could bottle that if you could bottle that and tap into it every weekend then we'd be probably the goat like the goat call that zone or whatever you want to call that you know but like i always figured guys like you and ricky and james you were able to get into that more often than other people because i had nights where i was just like that you don't even think about it like wow that was easy and i went i rode faster than i've ever ridden but it was for me very very spread apart when i had those and it's crazy because i mean you guys have both won races Sometimes your wins are the easiest races of your life. And it doesn't, that doesn't, I don't, I don't know that you can explain that to anyone because sometimes like, I mean, let's take the last five years of my career where it's like, you know, like I was, I was the old guy and, you know, well past my prime, but like there was moments where you felt like, okay, there it is. But then there was moments where I would hit every rut, every bump so damn slow that I've never been so exhausted in my life, but yet when you do it right and you like, like my prime example is Eli Tomac at the mud race in Utah and, and Cooper, two guys raced one track and then the other, what, 20 guys raced a completely different racetrack. You know, we all rode it slow. We rode it. We took our time and those guys just attacked it. And I bet you, yeah, they were probably exhausted. And then afterwards they're like, Oh, that was gnarly, but they wasn't that gnarly for them. You know, like Eli was going triple, triple, triple through that one section where I was scared to double. And it just, and it's funny because I've been there. Uh, one race I take in 08, I think Anaheim won in 08 GL. Um, we would come across the start, you know, you go down the start straight away, uh, come through the first rhythm and you do a 90 degree go across the start straight away. And it was so nasty, muddy from the start straight away. And oh, you would yeah, enter yeah. a set of whoops and you would enter a set of whoops wide open. And I swear that there was two inches to the right against the bale that was brand new. And I hit it for 20 laps perfectly. And then they were the easiest set of whoops. And I think one lap, maybe I didn't have to go through it. And it was like, wow, those whoops are gnarly, you know, but it's just, yeah. it's crazy that you just find that I don't know if it's the zone, the momentum, but you just, you hone in on, like you see, there's like, literally you see two inches that no one else sees and you just click it away and you do it. And yeah. it's so easy and it's so smooth and natural. I feel like what, at least for me, the way that I could describe it is all of the other bullshit in your head goes away. And all you're yeah. thinking about is just riding. Like you've yeah. done a billion times at the test track or whatever, but you're not thinking, Oh man, points or oh, bonus money or what's the team manager going to say or Ellie's going to light my ass up. Or, you know, <laughs> none of it. You're just like you're in the moment of what you're doing. It's and it's almost like you're not even thinking about it. It's just happening. Is that no? It is. It just like I always like to say, everything goes quiet, and you just you know you find there's a rhythm that you find, and and it just you wish that you could tap into it, you know, and you always. I think from somebody from the outside, I've always admired a Kevin window and from his first years until his later years, there was a Kevin that could show up 
and you're like, how can he not do it all the time? Yeah. And, you know, I was fortunate that I got to do it a lot, but as a retired guy today, there's definitely parts of me where I'm frustrated and I'll look back for the rest of my life and go, I wish, I wish I could tap into that more, you know? And I really honestly believe that that's why Ricky is the goat is he somehow found a way to tap into it all the time. He, he, you know, like you watch the videos and, and I witnessed it from behind a lot in outdoors, but he, as an individual just could tap into it on a, on a weekend basis. And, and I, you know, and I'm jealous of that. Like I'm, you know, you left thinking, how did he tap into that so many times, you know? Um, it's, it's pretty special to oh, get that. to witness that. Throughout history in this sport, like when we had tripes on the show or, or guys that have come on that raced with Marty tripes and they would say, dude, when he decided he was going to win, unstoppable. Like he yeah. blew past anybody. Doesn't matter who they were. No one could touch him. Um, yeah. Magoo yeah. had a lot of moments like that, you know, like, yeah. so throughout history, I think that's, that's just a part of our sport. That's not, it's changing. a part of it. I think Eli is a perfect example. I, I think that Eli has left the sport thinking what the hell happened this particular weekend. And then the complete opposite the next weekend, yeah. um, you know, and it's just, it's how often you can tap into it. And, and he's, some he's starting to figure out how to do it more frequently. Yes. I think. Like Absolutely. he's doing, it's working because he, like you said, you have these big ups and downs. Now you're starting to go, wait a minute, don't bet again. So he's becoming, like you said, tapping into that, that rhythm a lot more frequently. And it looks differently. Like yeah. he looks differently every weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that age slash, you know, becoming a dad, um, I think all those things can, can calm you, you know, I think with age, you get smarter and understand. Um, in his case, how many times can you fall short before you don't figure it out? You had to figure it out, right? Um, and I think that all that really just came together at the right time. Um, I think bikes have a lot to do with it. You know, some bikes you gel with, some bikes you don't. Um, they may in general in a team too, which I yeah. think they've tried. To I just undercut. I think at the at the very top, and I think you guys will agree at the very top. It's, it's a small percentage here, here, and here. It's never like, it's never one-sided. It's, you've got to be the complete pitcher, in my opinion. You know, like you have to have the complete package. And and I think that, yeah, like it's fun to see um, in recent years this year with, with Eli watching him come alive. Um, and I also think you've seen Cooper last year get all that package around him and, and take off. And then this year you could see the, the pressure of that number one plate seeping in, I think, you know, started the year off sick. How do you get sick? Stress, stress yeah. you know, and stress comes from the expectation, my opinion. But I, I at, really uh, think, look at Anderson the year before, same correct. exact scenario, right? You know, and I just think that you, you seen Cooper conquer it and get on top of it, but it was all too late in my opinion. And that's why we seen the result that we did. Um, but yeah, like, and, and that's what I love. And I guess, that's what I'm, I'm excited as a, as a retired guy and I want to jump ahead, but like as a retired guy, like that's what I love about the sport. You can kind of, you've been through it, you've lived it and you know, for good or bad, but you know what they're thinking, you know, cause you've, you've, you've thought it all before you've been in all those different positions before. Um, and that's what I find fun about being just a fan is really just sitting behind the, you know, and kind of like you're on the outside, 
but you feel on the inside because you, you understand what they're going through. Talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned Wyndham a little bit, you know, racing with those three guys, they're, they're, they were so different. Wyndham was just all talent, you know what I mean? And, and like you said, at times he could turn it on and be unreal. How did you, what did you think of their different styles and how did you approach racing those guys differently? Like start with Wyndham. Yeah. So Wyndham, Wyndham was, you know, Wyndham had retired, I think the year before I went into the big bike, I think in Oh two was when he broke his, uh, femur mm-hmm. and, and then he missed Oh three for the most part or end of Oh two and the beginning of Oh three. Um, I was always a fan of Kevin, you know, like I, I remember him winning, you know, like not many people can claim a one twenty five, you know, what do you call it? Coast championship contender. Um, and win races on the other coast on the 250. Um, and so I was always just like in, in awe of how naturally talented he was, how cool. And just, you know, like everyone talks about his style, but in some cases, some, whenever he was on his style was less cool. In my opinion, like he, he would sit down more than elbows, you would think, a little bit. elbows down. So like, it was weird when, like sometimes I'd watch him. I'm like, he's just so perfect. He'd stand, he would do things. And then when he was really on and actually get the job done, he would be like, like you said, elbows down a little more, sitting down a lot. And you're kind of like, I'm confused. Yeah. He would but, sit coming in a turns like yeah. 100 feet out. You're like, yeah. why is He this? started looking like DV when he was trying yeah, to yeah, yeah. look like a Spider-Man on the bike. So he was a hard one to, to read. Um, but there was something mentally something mental for him that he wasn't able to, like we always say, like tap into. And so Kevin, Kevin was awesome and fun to watch. I felt like I always felt like we always had a mutual respect. You could race him hard. Um, you know, you could get in there and rub. Um, but I never had a situation where I went in and cleaned him out. He cleaned me out. Like it was always like you could get in there and you could, you could rough each other up, but there was a line that we seemed like we never crossed. Um, but I never felt like he was a threat to me. Like I never felt threatened by Kevin, you know, like at no point, even when we were going for the championship, the two years that I battled with him, like I always felt like I had the upper hand, you know, like I never, and maybe that's why I did have the upper hand is I never was threatened by him. Um, where Ricky, Ricky just had something and James just had something where you knew they were willing to die. Yeah. Literally. You know, where Kevin, Kevin was, I had a point be like, I'm good. I had Kevin on me, you know, like I felt like I had pieces of Kevin in the fact that I could ride good and I I could tap into whatever I would tap into and I could do amazing things, but I couldn't, you know, I didn't necessarily do it all the time. Um, like what I would say James and, and Ricky did and in particular Ricky. Um, and so I felt like I was just a, you know, a step above of the things that he could do, I could do. Um, you, so you just basically, anytime that Kevin would be threatening, you knew that you could just go into the, you know, go a little bit deeper than you wanted to go. And at some point he was going to go, hmm, not real sure. I want to go into that area. Um, and then within two, three, five laps, whatever it was, um, you know, he would, he would throw in the towel and you could, you know, you could sailor home. Yeah. Okay, so now now do James. What was your take on him? 
James, James was so hard to figure out because at the later end of my career, it, when it was just us, sometimes the gate would drop and you're like, I'm not willing to go there. And if you just start throwing down, throwing down, throwing down, and you're hanging, you're hanging, you're hanging, he's in the zone and he's just boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, sometimes I would go eh, and I would do what Kevin would do. And I just throw in the towel and then he would back it down a little bit. And when he'd back it down is when the disaster would strike. And then two laps later, a lap later, he would hit neutral. Like the most talented dude in the world would find neutral or drag the rear brake and go over the bars. Like he would do the weirdest things. So I always thought, I'm going to throw down if I feel like I can throw down. If I can't throw down, then I'm going to back down a little bit and actually put him in his vulnerable position and where he's not in his boom, 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 and he'd kind of back it down. Because whenever he backed it down, it just seemed like he would make weird mistakes. Yeah. Um, and that worked a lot, but not enough. <laughs> but just, I don't know, raw speed and the ability to do something that no one else is willing to do unbelievable i saw a thing like you know like we all follow on instagram certain things and the 2000s motocross or whatever it's called posted it was 07 final race in 07 in vegas come out of the turn go through a set of whoops sketchy set of whoops and then there was a double into another set of whoops dude just goes through the first set of whoops that was super sketchy pins it that fast that he just goes "Hmm, i'm just going to stay in it jumps from the double clears the whole next set of whoops I remember that. and just sits down and goes through the turn. At that point, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I ain't doing Ow, this. You know? There you go. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, those 25 points, you've already won the championship. You can end the championship right now, happy as a race winner. And I'm going to be the second place guy at this point. And dude, he, I think I swear he did it for the rest of the race. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. You know, um, wall in Daytona. What about that? The wall jump thing? I mean, oh that my gosh! Just terrifying. And just yeah, and it's like you don't—I don't know—you don't ever want to think of the consequences, but at some point you have to weigh up the risk versus reward. Um, I couldn't imagine it because I always think of like, okay, I could go in there, I could give it a blip with the clutch, and goes up. He's got no clutch, so at any point, if it doesn't go brap when you want it to go brap. You're it's not ending well. And a hospital trip. I just give him kudos. Django's was not scared to take risks. Like that's yeah. one thing I saw. And, and 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 funny enough, like I see interviews and I and, and the little conversations that I have, he seemingly it was never risk to him. Like for him, like going through one set of whoops ridiculously fast and then jumping a double on the next set of whoops. In his mind, and he and and probably the fact that he was going so damn fast, it was easier just to keep the throttle on and jump the whole next section. Yeah. Like he would always be like, "Oh man, the scariest jump on the track is the triple." And I'm like, and I could never understand that. He's just like, "Yeah, but you got to judge it." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's like it's the same every weekend." I'm like, "You're quadding, dude," and I'm, and he's like, "Yeah, but I just pin it." And I'm like, "You and I went on on the same page." You know? like, <laughs> But yeah, like in, in some ways his mind works so different than ours, you know, like I was all about throttle control and a little bit of scrub here. If I needed to do three, he was more like, oh no, I see four. And I think if I just go wide open, the engine is literally going to put me at four and we're good. And 
that was his way of judging it and it was easy and man kudos to him he was one gnarly dude for sure i still remember dallas 06 the whoops after the oh yeah jump where ricky almost bought a boat those 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 whoops scared the shit out of me and i was gnarly those whoops were so gnarly I was getting arm pumped because they were so square edge and I was struggling. And then I remember going in the stands and watching. And when I see you struggle, I'm like, okay, I feel better because I know that they're super gnarly. And I remember him, I think his, his foot peg grazed the hay bales and he Never went there so fast. I, it's one of the few times I went my, my yeah. to the ground. I'm like, that is so ballsy, so sketchy. There's no way in hell he's going to do that again. There's no way. And he would come and do it. Yeah, and my and thought would always be, you can't physically get away with that 20 times in a row. And like you said, his thought was, yeah, but it was actually easier when I was on top. I'm like, yeah, but getting there is the problem. <laughs> and so that was the one weekend where, you know, like I was, I would consider myself really good in whoops, you know, like oh, I, yeah. in my whole career, it's like, I've never really struggled. And if I'm struggling, it's, they're gnarly or something's really not weighing up because very rarely do I, like, it's just not an area that I really struggle. And I remember like first lap, I think Ricky whole shotted James was second. Maybe even I was second. I don't know, but, but James finds this line on the left side. Like you said, it was literally like, I swear it was two inches, three inches of just nice whoop, you know, and Ricky's typical Ricky just sending it down the middle and, you know, going everywhere. And then James passes him like he's sitting still. And I'm like, okay, got to do that. And it was like the one weekend where I'm like kind of proud where I'm like, okay, just send it down where, wherever James goes, goes. And I start sending it. And then you could see Ricky, Ricky goes, yeah, I got to send it, but he didn't send it where we were sending it. He sends it straight down the middle. <laughs> and, and so where, like, it was another one of those races where the intensity and the, the will to just get it done was was just through the roof and so i'm sending it just like please baby jesus you know just like yeah. through the I, I never saw no boat you know i probably would have hit the damn thing too if i had it went off to the left but and that's another one of those times where you just like ricky you're just like dude just i mean he had championship lead at that point and just sends it you know, straight down the middle. Like it wasn't like he's like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna pick a left or a right or a smooth. No, just turn that just twist that throttle more. And anyway, that was I won that race again. And yeah, that was, was a fun just, race. Just gnarly, you know. And you think about it again, like backing up to like one of the most talented dudes in James and how gnarly he is. And then the simplest thing in the in one of the next rhythms or you know, two rhythms later. And he jumps in the bales. Yeah, basically just a, you know, I think we went quad and then we tripled and then we, I think we were jumping from a table to a, in, a you know, like three other, two other jumps. So it's kind of like a quad almost. Um, and he just somehow gets a little cross rutted tire wobbles a little bit and he just jumps off the track and yep, I'm like a head shake in that trance. Yeah. And he yeah, yeah just the weirdest little thing. And, you know, like you think of how gnarly the whoops were and he didn't miss a beat. And then just the, one of the easier jumps on the track and he jumps off the racetrack. And then, uh, and, and that's at that point where you're just like, I can breathe a little, you know, cause it's the pace was high. Do you think that like people watching in the stands, people who don't, who haven't raced with him or, or at least ridden on the same tracks, like they don't appreciate just how gnarly he was because 
it's like if you're watching any pro sport, if you've never done it, you're like, yeah, it looks cool, like ice hockey. If you've ever tried to go ice skate, then you appreciate how freaking gnarly those hockey players yeah. are. Like, having raced on these tracks with, you know, in the 125 class, either with him or watching him in the big bike class, you'll, you'll go through a set of whoops. And you go, those are, you don't know how hard those are. Like if you're in the stands, you just don't get it. Well, yeah, from the stands. He's like on a whole nother level. So from the stands, you never see the front side, right? Like very rarely can you see from this front side, like how gnarly they are. Cause this, you know, for the most part, the stadium is, you know, the, the two sides and then the whoops always run this side, um, you know, parallel with it. So then you're just like, yeah. And then you, you get down on there and even, I mean, and you guys have probably witnessed it, but even sometime when you're watching the practices or, or, you know, like you're watching the race before you and you're like, Oh yeah, no, Chuck looks pretty good. You know, like whoever the individual that's winning in the lights class is typically a good guy. Right. And you're kind of like, Oh yeah, no, Chuck's good. And, and then you get out there and I'm like, what happened to this track? You know, like it's way gnarlier than you actually thought when you do that parade lap, but yeah. that's, yeah, you can't explain how gnarly some of those things are to, you know, to the fans. I think you can explain it, but it's hard to, it's hard to really understand it. Yeah. And it just, those things, those special things that James could do. I just don't know that everyone appreciates them to the level that they should, because they were, yeah. he had those magical moments, even the best guys like you and, and even Ricky, you're probably going, I don't have an answer for that. And and that's what I, what's up? I got my kids. What's up? What? I don't know if it's going to storm. Ask mom. She's the one with the apple on her phone. All right. Go, on, go downstairs. I'm going to finish up. Two hours. Two hours. Yep. No, there's one and a half hours. Oh, okay. All right. Well, if you guys. No, no, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Kid's going to do a workout. Hey. Okay, your dad has to finish this thing up. <laughs> Ellie, hey, I'm doing. A, I'm on the Zoom call still. Come on, out you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real life moment right there. I like it. Uh, Bad life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dad, I'm just gonna work out. Don't mind me. He says, yeah, oh, no. Random. Let me let me pick up a kettlebell and drop it on the ground." <laughs> But yeah, I think that like getting back to what we were saying, like, uh, it's so hard and it's probably why, like, I always had so much respect for James, you know, like we, we had a brutal rivalry and we didn't ever see eye to eye. It seemed like, um, but the, the rivalry should always be, you know, clear that I hated to lose, hated to get beat by him. Um, but take the helmet off. And I had nothing but respect for how gnarly he was, you know? Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of like, and it kept it fun. And I think that in the moment you're kind of like, you're frustrated and you're, you know, you're swinging for the fences. Sometimes you're trying to figure out like, how do you get to that level? Like, because it's not, it's not a skill level. Like I wouldn't say it's a skill. It's, it's about how do I become okay going way out of my comfort zone? Um, and that was always challenging to tap into and, and, and few times I was able to do it, but a lot I wasn't. And you just like, you had to accept that like, okay, I didn't win tonight, but I didn't die. <laughs> and, and sometimes that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you, you're kind of like, Hey, I, at this point, like it wasn't like he, I mean, he was fast. Don't get me wrong, but his whoop speed, his 
you know, corner speed were all things that I felt like, okay, yeah, like I can go home and work on that. But when dude starts just doing things that is special, you know, the quads, the, you know, uh, the scrubbing, you know, dragging a foot peg off the face of a triple. Um, these are things that you're not like, okay, I'm going to go work on that on Monday because I'm like, okay, I don't know that I want to scrub, you know, drag a foot peg on a 450 off the you know, face of the triple. I don't know that I want to go start quadding everything on my racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of, you had to weigh up the risk versus reward in, in your mind. Um, and, and that was what was so. If you look at his so career challenging. now and your career now and how many injuries he had versus how many you had, it's like he paid a price for pushing that bar of where he was willing to go. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. Like I always think that, and, and I feel like I'm, you know, like when you look at our career, you know, he has a few more wins. We have the same amount of championships. Um, I have a lot more starts. Um, you know, so like in general, we're really close to each other. Um, and then obviously you look at the percentage of wins and the podiums and everything like that. They're, they're not far off when you look at him and his prime, me and my prime, you know, you take away the last 10 years um, or five years. And and I think I, you know, I think we're pretty even, but when you think of how good he was, um, and I think about it myself because I felt like there's, there's four championships, five championships that I look at if, Hey, if I had done this, or if it had a swung this way, I could easily have five more titles. You know, I really honestly feel good about, you know, sitting here and saying that there's a real good chance that, that I could have five more. Um, but it just, I wasn't at the end of the day, I wasn't good enough. You know, I didn't get it done when I needed to get it done to have the end result. I fell short. Um, I don't, you know, and, and I think when I look at him and how, you know, his, his number of wins and where he has and how gnarly he was, it's pretty crazy that he really only won two titles. Um, you know, there was a lot of, and I, I believe in timing. I, I believe in choices and timing. And I think that unfortunately for him, you know, he he rode the end of uh gl and i making a great yamaha and he got one year of that and he was supercross champion and then he rode what the next three years fighting you know fighting for a new generation and a new model um that i think probably gives the you know tells the real story of why you know why he didn't get more wins more championships because it was just a really challenging you know project that he was that he was working with but also he came into that era timing, as you're mentioning with Ricky, with you, with Wyndham. I mean, he, he came into a very difficult era. If it had been, you know, before or after, maybe it would be a different story. Maybe he would have more championships, but that, yeah, you, so I mean, you never know. Right. But like, as far as like, you think of his speed and just how good he was. Um, and then you look at one, you know, one outdoor title only when two supercross titles, you you do think that at some point it was a lot less than what you would have expected or you know like especially early in his career how ridiculously awesome he was um you know like the the, the talk and the ind the industry expectation was you know jeremy's records and ricky's records you know set previously were in jeopardy of how good he was you know yeah. um and then really he didn't he didn't get it done you know and but like you said, and, and that's where I would agree that the risk versus reward just didn't add up. Um, his choices of teams and directions that he went didn't really probably work out like they did or what he expected. 
Um, and, and I have a real reality of that. There's teams that I rode for and bikes that I rode for that just didn't work out in the way that you've seen it from the outside. Um, so I have kind of a reality and an understanding of why it didn't, you know, like I don't know, I don't, I honestly don't put it on him a hundred percent. Like I don't go, Oh yeah, but he sucked and he just pushed a limit. He crashed. He did this. He got hurt. Like it's, it's a full package at this level. And I think that, you know, his choices is only one part of the puzzle, you know, and it's, it's, it's everything else that goes into being a champion. And that's what, again, going back to Ricky, that's why Ricky was so badass in my opinion, you know, just thinking of, you know, wherever he went, he made it work, you know, I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think anyone would argue, you know, in O2, how terrible the bike was, you know, and, and it's not a slay on Honda, but just, I really think that, you know, Dunlop tires and a Honda in that generation in that era wasn't, it wasn't the bike to be on. It wasn't the tire to be on, you know, and, and yet he won, (laughs) he got it done. And that's, that's what's impressive about Ricky and why I truly believe the word goat is fitting for him. Um, and, And that's just, yeah, my opinion on it. Do you, James has made some comments, you know, like he's pretty much just put bikes away. He doesn't ride at all anymore. Doesn't seem like, and even said going out to his track and smelling like the smell of the dirt just like almost makes him sick. Yeah. I, I, I always I find it weird that guys who are so talented on a bike, uh, maybe even, I guess Wyndham's riding a little bit, but a guy like him too. How do you not still ride a little bit? Just go ride for fun. I mean, I, I still enjoy riding so much. See, I'm assuming you do too. Well, Chad was telling me about his uh, little ad- adventure ride coming up here pretty soon. So yeah, I'm going to go but, ride one for a week, but yeah, like, and that's where I say, like, it's sad. Like when, you know, like anytime I have interactions with people or people ask and I'm like, it's sad because you think of somebody who made a life out of this, you know, like you think of his amateur career and everything like that. And it's, and Rick, Ricky to a point, you know, I know he rides more and, and, and in recent years he's, he's interacting with motocross and supercross more often and doing off season events. Um, but there was many years that Ricky didn't really swing a leg over a bike, you know, like you, you've seen, you know, his life choices and, and what it was doing. And, and it was like, I, I guess I'm only just crossing that bridge. I'm one, two months out of retirement, but to me, it does, it seems so crazy. And it's a little bit sad when you see somebody like James, like just, I would think that him going and riding would be fun. Yeah. But I watched the same interview you did and it just, and it's kind of like one of those things and you're like, man, it just, it sucks that it ended that way because my hope for him would be he finds peace and being able to go, you know, it's not like motorcycles don't exist in the family anymore. I mean, he's, his brother's deep into it. Um, it sounds like Chase Sexton's working with him quite a lot. So, I mean, I would love to see video and pictures of him out there in gear and, you know, maybe he's wearing a few sizes bigger than he once upon a time did, but it, that's what's, that's live. It's, yeah. it's like GL. Yeah, he's puts his <laughs> hand up, but it like you just you know that today he could go spin a lap and be like hmm, he still got it. You yeah, know just what I mean? throwing throw whips like you can just, <laughs> yeah. I just it's so fun to me. I don't know how totally. You, do you see and, yourself? And, you know, I mean, and the Stuart compound doesn't look like it sucks. You know, no. I've been there and it, it it looks fun. So I I hope he finds 
a happy medium or peace in it and he and he swings a leg over a bike and and starts to have fun with his brother and chase or whoever's there you know i was thinking though like you know you talked about ricky and we're talking about james and i've seen it with a few other guys along the way and and a part of me thinks that you know the whole life cycle is we're going to go racing we're going to win loretta's we're going to be pro we're going to win and in there's all this build up and then those guys become really really good in the sport so there's this pressure in a sense of there's James, there's Ricky, these guys are on a pedestal, they can never have a bad day. There's this, I get a feeling that because the racing, they lose that fun side, it's more like I have to win, I have to win, I have to win, I have to win. Then they retire and it's almost like a bad marriage where they become a little resentful towards the motorcycle. The battered husband's club. Yeah, the battered totally. husband's club, yeah. And, and you, and they you a see it, you know, like Ricky, I feel like Ricky's overcome that and he's you know he's doing more things but he's very much he chooses what he wants to do you know um you know going to australia and messing around and doing some of those races you know him and i have built a relationship you know where we're really good friends you know he races in my i racing group every monday night i'm you know on online with him you know talking crap like it was oh three um, you know, we have a great time and, and I re- regularly, we talk with each other, we text and all these kinds of things. And, and he's, you know, so he chooses where he puts himself. And, and, and I think that he trusts when we, when him and I go and battle, we go and battle and we have a bit of fun, but it's not about me, you know, trying to put a hurting on him. Like once upon a time, you know, like we have, I felt like overcome that. And so he doesn't just jump in and, and, and do anything with anyone. you know, I think he picks and chooses who he jumps in and out of, you know, because, cause you never know, you know, like sure. it, I don't look at it this way because I don't, you know, like, I, yeah, I have a legacy, whatever that legacy is, but like he has a pretty strong legacy of being the goat. Right. And so anytime that he swings a leg over a bike, I think there's an expectation. And I think that in some cases he lets the guard down on that. And then other cases, he's just like, I am the goat and I'm not willing to put myself in that vulnerable position anymore and and i respect that you know like whatever it is you know like that he's trying to protect or whatever that thing is in the back of his head that tells him to not do one thing or another you know yeah fair point all right so speaking of ricky what about racing him how was how how do you strategize against a guy who really doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses yeah i mean it's funny because he had weakness but when it came time and I probably learned this from him really fast. When it came time to handing out 25 points, his weakness was so minimal. And, but, but first practice to that 25 point handout gate drop, he was vulnerable, you know, like there wasn't, you know, like he would, there was times where he would cartwheel it. I mean, I remember when we were going for the title in 03, um, he did something in practice at Salt Lake City, split all his chin open, had to get stitches, um, you know. But it's like, dude, why didn't you save that for the main event, you know? I would love that you save it for when we're going to hand out these 25 points. <laughs> save it for then, you know. And um, and whenever he did do something, like I think of O2 Indianapolis when, uh, when he looped out off the Gatorback, Nathan Ramsey's only race win he still gets back to second place with no visor, you know, things hanging off. He couldn't even pull tear offs, all these kinds of things. And he still just, you know, he, he, and I think at that point when, you know, like that was the year when he was battling with, uh, with Villeman 
And at that point, he comes back, he passes Villeman. And I think that, that at that point, that's when Villeman goes, I don't got this. Yeah. Like, he, like, even on a weekend where I see the guy loop out, he's on the ground face first, he's got no visor. Okay, we're going to get some points. This might be my year. And the dude comes back by you, leaves you, and gets second place and maximizes the best you can yeah. in, in, in a really shitty situation. Just getting it done um, again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of like Anaheim one in 03. Um, yeah. The guy crashed at least 18 times. And it wasn't that many, but I, I think he crashed at least three times, twice maybe, went off the track. Like you watch that race back, and it's literally a highlight of Ricky mistakes or Ricky crashes. And he still gets a very, not a second, a very easy second. And you're just like at that, uh, what do you do? You know, like you're almost mad at the rest of the field because that they, yeah, yeah. Come you're on, almost guys. mad. You're like, he that, like you're kind of like, what the, the F? What were the rest of you doing? Like, come on, you know? I was rolling <laughs> up the window through the whoops yeah. on the KTM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, yeah, so th- that's what I would put Ricky, you know, and it's, that's just talking supercross. I think when you start taking the conversation into outdoors, there ain't an individual that I have seen that has, you know, the, the ability to do what he did uh, as, as amazing and as much respect as I have for James. I don't think that even James could hold the torch to him on, on a 12 round series, you know, okay. James could come down, throw down for a particular race here and there, but like throwing down for 24 motos. I mean, look at the records. Don't lie. I mean, what 10, 10 straight championships that he never missed one 10 in a row. I mean, that's when you're thinking of like not motocross and supercross, let's talk sports in general, in, in the world, you know, the numbers put him, the numbers put him at it. I would put him in top, in the top three of all time athletes. Maybe even when you look at the numbers and you really compare the numbers, I I wouldn't be surprised that he's really number one. You know, and the most dominant as a guy, di- as a guy that what's that? The most dominant guy in any sport for a yeah. decade. I yeah, yeah. Say. I mean, look at you know, like you think of like the you know the Jimmy Johnson seven titles. You know, and then you look at the backside of it now and it's like the wind, you know, like all those kinds of things. And it's like, dude, for 10 years straight, you know, three 125s and seven, you know, 450 titles. And had if he wanted to keep going, I still don't think that there was an end, you know, like I really don't. And just unbelievable, really, when you think of those numbers and, you know, doing two perfect seasons. And uh, I think the other season, I think he he had a perfect like I think he won the twelve rounds, but he didn't win twenty four motos. Um, just freaking unbelievable. He met, he said something in, in his show when he was on our show about. I, I assumed that there was something about the work he did during the week or a mental state of mind he'd get into, where he's just like ultimate level of confidence. Right, that's what I assumed. His his, his records speak for that. He'd go to the weekend going, "I got this. I'm going to destroy these guys." And he says his motivation was he just didn't want to lose. He was scared to death of losing. He goes, I'd beat he, like Chad one weekend. And he goes, I'd beat all week long. He's going to figure me out. He's going to figure out what I'm doing. And he's going to beat me this weekend. Terrified. That was his motivator. And I thought that was so odd. I mean, can you I thought that, that too. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I said, I thought that. And I was on the other side of it. I thought at some point you got to figure this out, Chad. Otherwise, like, like I think of motocross and I think I'm not a terrible motocross rider, you know, but he <laughs> single-handedly made me hate it. Like I hated motocross. Still to this day, I'm like, everyone's like, oh, come to a national. I'm like, dude, the, the memories that I have from motocross are, okay, yeah, you can separate it. And there's a few years where I was like, man, it was fun. I know I won races and stuff. But God, man, he, he single-handedly just made me hate, hate motocross. Because even when I was, you know, you would train your absolute butt off, like kind of like, you know, you, you, you come home and you do your homework. And I can seriously look in the mirror and go, like, I felt like, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. And it's like, if I do this, this, and this, and then I can achieve this. And like, I can honestly say that I worked harder than I'd ever worked in my life. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. Later in your career, you definitely learn things and you work differently and everything like that. But in that moment, in that time, in that era, like I, I wasn't like I was at home partying and anything like that. You know, like in that day, I, I hadn't even drank an alcohol drink at that point. You know, like I was just strictly racing and business and I got one race win. <laughs> he crashed, he cartwheeled it at Southwick one year. I was six in the first moto. Um, I was having the best ride of my life, but I think I was still like five to 10 seconds off the lead. Um, and there was about four laps to go, um, you know, and, and like one of those motos where I was pretty exhausted, I'd been thrown down, you know, and I'd been, I was, we were smoking everybody behind us, but still at that point, like he'd still rode away at five seconds or whatever. And then I come around and he'd, he'd cartwheeled it. And I was just like, <laughs> thank God, you know? And I remember going over the finish line, just spent. And I'm like, okay, that's one moto. What am I going to do for the next moto? <laughs> everyone's like, sweet, you did it. You know, like, let's get, and then, you know, everyone's all upbeat and thinking that we, you know, cause I, I did stay close to him. All things considered, you know, like he's considered a sand rider. He's considered one of the gnarliest dudes. And I, and I, I felt pretty good. Like I threw down with him in the sand and I, I actually, not that it was really talked about, but I consider myself a pretty damn good sand rider myself. And, um, and it was one of those motos where you're like, yeah, you know, like it was old school uh southwick where it was actually sandy and it was actually rough um and i was just like dude that, okay that was good but at, when i got off the track everyone's all happy and i'm like man how am i gonna do that again <laughs> you know because you're just spent and I, I got i think i got second in the next one but dude i think the guy won by 25 seconds he pretty much punished himself the whole time and um, he just had no weakness like there was just there was something that he could tap into and and I would say as a retired guy now, I never worked with Alden. And I'm not a big fan of going, oh, yeah, Alden was the answer. But there's definitely a part of me. I rode every bike. I rode every team. But I never worked with Alden. And it's kind of like it's always, you know, do I regret not working with him? Not necessarily. But there's a point, you know, like there's a part of you where you're like, I would have liked to have worked with him. You know, like you'd, you'd like to tick that box and go, Oh, I understand. It was this, it was that because I don't believe it was one thing that they did. That really was the answer. I think it's probably more a matter of 10 things that they did, you know? Um, and you don't see that separation anymore, you know, like, like Ricky and Alden did something pretty special. Yeah. What do you, I mean, cause is there anything you could put that on with Alden or do you know really what his program was? 
I mean, because the record. I add. I don't know. I've never been close with Ellen, so. Okay. Um, I I think that Ricky was OG. Um, those days were different to these days. Um, I think there was a bigger separation. Um, something that you you, I get like I have a laugh about you know like Ricky and I being friends and you know and him talking about the original days of him and Alden working and then you see what Alden has now become. Um, it's pretty crazy, you know, like he should be getting royalties on this whole thing, but <laughs> I always give him a hard time and that's funny, but yeah, like you, he was once upon a time, he had to basically self-isolation away from everybody. It was just like training, 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 and don't, don't we can't let the world know anything what we do, um, to now it's an open book and there's 18 guys working off of his program, you know? Um, so yeah, it's funny, but yeah, like just, that's probably the one thing that I feel that in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, it'd be interesting. You know, just, I don't regret it. Like I honestly don't, I don't believe in regrets, but just one of those moments where you're like, it wouldn't have been interesting to work with him, uh, closely behind closed doors and, and understand, um, you know, just one of those things. Like I'm, I'm that guy where if everybody's keto, everybody's vegan, everybody's, you know, dairy free, whatever, like I'm not going to ever talk shit on whatever that is. I'm going to try it and go, Oh yeah, my body feels pretty good on that. I think that that diet's pretty good. Um, and it's, and so that, that's how I would say is, you know, would, would Alden and I work and would we gel and, and, and would we get the result that, you know, the Dungies, the Villapotos and the Carmichael's and the Stewart's got, I don't know that answer. Um, you know, because some of the program that I see and I hear, like, I feel like we'd very much go like this and, and yeah. it would be short lived um, just because of my personality. Um, but you never know because you're, you're a little bit stubborn, I, I think, maybe. In like what y- yes and no. Um, you know, like if I buy into something, then I'm all in. Thanks, one um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But every race has to be a little bit. <laughs> yeah, true. You, you, yeah, I know. I, I would agree that I'm stubborn, but like, you, you know, like if, if for whatever reason Alden says, hey, this, this, and this, and he gives me real reasons, then. I'm like, dude, that, that, okay. There's no, no need to, you know, but if I do it and he says, Hey, do this, this, and this, and I feel like absolute shit. And it's like, okay, that's great. But I feel like crap. So that doesn't work for me. So therefore I'm not buying into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's really probably the only thing that I wish that, you know, like at at some point I had have got to, um, just to try out. Yeah. yeah, Just to, just to tick the box, you know, like just like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, tell me uh, something that's really different today is like when you see pre-race press conferences or post-race or interviews where all the guys are together in that era, your little window there, Oh five, Oh six, especially there were so many like very subtle mental games, sometimes not subtle. It was a hundred percent. I wouldn't say it was subtle. It was always subtle. And I think from the outside world, it was subtle, but once you know the program, you know, the system, everything was used against you you know it was just uh, the things that you would say there was a counter it was like it was like you know sitting in a um like like the rappers going yeah like it was like politics or the rappers going and battling against each other and whatever he would say then you would basically use those words against him and 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 i I used to enjoy it back then because you'd sit back there and go, Oh shit. He just said that. And then, yeah. Oh, I mean, it would ratchet up and everyone was like that. You guys were always trying to get a little, like but the fun part was, is you said it, you said it in a way where you were expecting a bite 
and expecting something and it can become a game. And whenever you're on top, you used it a hundred percent to try to nail in that nail. And, and when, when you're on the bottom where you sucked and then he's doing it, it's kind of like, you're like, okay, I got to get this thing flipped back (laughs) over. And, and nowadays, like, you know, like the few podiums that I've had in the last, you know, five years with everyone, you throw little digs and they kind of just look at you like, (laughs) he said that, you know, like, it's actually funny because it's, it's funny because it's not funny and they get really butthurt about it, you know? And it's kind of like you can actually see their like their feelings are hurt, and and then they're like, "Well, I'm not talking to that guy," you know. Where I feel like James and Ricky and I like we'd walk out of there somewhat laughing, or you know, like the, the game didn't end. It kind of just was this constant game. Even even walking out was a game, or like an outdoor national, we would talk crap on each other, and it was about like, okay, let's get out of my gear, get a shower, because I want my jet to take off before their jet. And that was, you know, it was, okay, I got my ass kicked today, but guess what? I got the coolest jet and we're going to leave first. You're like, <laughs> and, uh, it's you're, like, and you're like days of thunder when those two are always yeah. eating. Uh, we'll yeah. Yeah. Those, and that's yeah. just, yeah, it was such a fun generation. I really do miss it. And I'm sure that in, in the current generation, there's ways that they, you know, can relate to certain things that we're doing, but it's definitely changed so much and social media and the access that the outside world has to beat up on individuals has is, is changed that, I think, you know? Yeah, you're probably right. But I watch these conferences. I'm sure you think the same thing. I'm watching these press conferences, and they're so boring. Nothing gets said. Oh, my gosh. I just want to get out of here with a good finish. Team's good. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. If there's not going to be anything interesting. You're wasting your time, and Feld knows that. There's a reason why they really don't. There's no effort put into them, because Feld's just like, dude, like, even when – Feld tries to spice it up. There's nothing to spice up because they don't bite into it. They don't buy, you know, they, they don't, they just don't get it. It's a different, it's a different generation. So I don't know how to, I don't know how to spice it up or how to make it interesting. Yeah. All right. So moving forward, going into 07, uh, you went to San Manuel, right? What, why, why did that come about? And how was that team and bike compared to where you'd been? So, I love Yamaha and still to this day, I mean, I, I, I feel like I speak honestly about Yamaha, but like, I truly do have blue running through my veins. Like I, I have, there's a soft spot there. You know, if, if Yamaha today called me and said, Hey, we want somebody to take over Yamaha. Um, we need a team manager and blah, blah, blah. And will you take over the team? I would, I would seriously contemplate doing that because it would be a massive, massive passion, passion project and something that I'm very passionate about. Um, but through my years, I rode there the most, um, probably my younger years. And, and then I went back in the later years and a lot of my frustrations that I witnessed at the beginning, I also witnessed at the end, but I had a different understanding of why those, you know, like it kind of of like the first time it was like frustrated, frustrated, didn't really understand it too young and dumb to understand it came back at the end of my career. And a lot of the same things were there, but I felt like I had a better understanding, which frustrated me even more because it was kind of like, man, I just wish I could, I could change it, you know? Um, and I, and I single-handedly couldn't. And so to answer your question, why did I go to Sam and well, I had the ability. Well, first and foremost, they offered me a supergrass only deal. That was a ridiculous amount of money. Um, 
and I thought that that was a great idea. Um, I got to go down right for you. I mean, I, you're on a Yamaha on, yeah. a, on a pretty cool. It was. I mean, I was. Yeah, like I was. I was on a great. I was getting paid very well at Yamaha. Um, I was one of the three of the you know guys getting really really paid um multi-million dollar deals and they came and offered me more than a million dollars than i was already getting paid so and i didn't a have to raise above what you're being paid yes by and, the way thanks because when you took their money it freed up yamaha's money so yeah, yeah. Board as well <laughs> see you're you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> and so uh yeah so when somebody basically tells me Hey, you're going to basically have all the same bike, the same, like, I, I mean, GL, you were there that year. Um, I was essentially a Yamaha factory rider, just sure. pitting out of a different tent and things like that. Yeah. And, and that's what was good and bad. So to get back to the, why did I go there? I reached, I felt like I reached a, a, a point where, you know, like I, I needed a change. I felt like, I felt like I was starting to become a little frustrated within the system. Um, and so I felt like change going, you know, keeping my Yamaha relationship, keeping, you know, staying a Yamaha core rider and then going to a different team who, you know, it was Larry Brooks who had had success at Yamaha, who had had success with Jeremy, um, who had had success with supercross only, you know, teams, um, the people and the personnel on the team, I really believed in, you know, like getting to work with Oscar Weiderman, who, who was you know, when I left my home in Australia at 18 years old, the first individual that I met in the world of Grand Prix racing or the world outside of Australia was Oscar. Um, he was at Kawasaki when I was there um, in Europe. Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I just, I felt like it was kind of like a lot of happy things coming together. Um, so, you know, like when somebody comes and offers you a lot of money and then you start looking at the project and you're looking at the package, um, I felt a lot of the weakness that we had at Yamaha, Larry was promising a lot of, a lot of fixes for that particular problem. And so then I bought into that and, and I felt, and I quickly found out and Gio was there during this day. Um, it always seems like we're beating up on Yamaha, but it's like, it's just where we spent the most time. And this particular moment was like when I realized what I, what I, what I thought I bought into wasn't going to change. Um, you know, essentially we went testing. It was my first day as a, as a real L and M guy, Gio was there that particular day. Um, and we were having issues like Gio's bike was cutting out. My bike was cutting out and we're like, what's going on? You know, um, sh sh long story short, as Gio would say, uh, we had a bad batch of ECUs and uh, or CDIs back in those days. Yeah. Um, and Yamaha had one of the biggest finish lines that we had seen on best, especially in those days. And right at the face of it, this, the bike would just bog. And like, we went through the, I, I mean, and I remember Larry Brooks sitting me down he's like, Hey, you know, like Yamaha is just, then it really got this whole thing figured out, but we're going to fix it. Well, I went through every jet, every needle, every fuel imaginable, and it didn't fix it. And me and GL both are kind of like, well, dude, what, what's going on here? Yeah. And then, uh, and then that was when I kind of quickly figured out like, Hey, like this problem's still real, you know? 
um, this bogging issue. And we didn't know about the ECU at that point. And so I kind of started to, you know, and then, but everything that LNM wanted to do kind of was quickly shut down. And it was like, I was really a Yamaha rider. Um, GL, I believe at the time, uh, rode, uh, you know, like our bike. So basically we had brand new test bikes. Both of those brand new test bikes just got benched and GL got, I believe my, uh, supercross bike that I finished, um, the, the season on in 06 and, and, and didn't have a problem thing ran like a dream. And so we're like, okay. And then, you know, piece by piece, they start, you know, putting all these things back on and they put an ECU on it, your CDI on it. Didn't miss the beat. And then we figured out that we had a bad batch. Um, but that was kind of really how it started is really the biggest problem is just the fact that that then continued, it kind of became this, you know, and I think that Larry is from, for the most part guilty, um, in this scenario is very, you know, Larry's, Larry's gnarly, you know, like Larry wants to win and Larry wants to be sneaky and Larry wants to, you know, do things that if, if Keith says, Hey, you're not allowed to do this, this, and this. Larry's going to go, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then you throw my personality in it that basically, Hey, let's do whatever it takes. So I'm seeing Larry try this and Keith shut down this, this, and this. And I'm, it just kind of was like, my personality was a terrible combination in that working environment. Um, and so we really struggled in 07. I felt like 07 for whatever reason, I think I, I honestly think our bike wasn't necessarily worse than what it was in 06, but James and then, and that Kawasaki was just a whole nother level above, you know, like I think that they didn't go a level that I really think they skipped a couple of levels and it was just unbelievable. And then I kind of, I was frustrated. I ended up 07, really frustrated supercross. I sat out the nationals, um, and then the first national that I came back for was, uh, was the first weekend that GL essentially was riding the 08 bike. Um, and then the 08 bike, they made just drastic changes, you know, and I kind of like, I went back to Australia during the summer. Um, and I just needed to clear my head. I'm kind of like, okay, things didn't work out. I, 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 yeah, I won a couple of races and I was second, but it just, it wasn't fun. Like I was at that point in my life, I was at 25, 26 or whatever it was. Ricky had retired you know, and I was starting to think, shit, do I, is this it? Is this the end? You know, like, cause I really didn't have anything for, uh, James in 07. Like he's straight up at no point. Like I just never felt like I gelled with the, the whole thing, you know, like there was nothing, no part of me where I was like, oh yeah, that felt good. You know? So I took some time away. I went back to Australia a lot. I came back, I did a national, um, you know, and then that was when GL and, and Yamaha was starting to work on the, the 08 program. Uh, towards the end and, and to the point where it was so much better that they basically plugged him into the 08 bike and then he went on and won championship. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, and it's funny, Gio, remember this, but like there was so few parts back in those days that GL and I, one night at, uh, at the US Open, um, one night he used uh, the forks, like we had one set of forks and, and, and obviously it was political, right? I was Gio was the official Yamaha rider, but then in reality, I was probably the guy that was the Yamaha guy because I was still Yamaha. I was still <coughs> a big part of Yamaha's marketing yeah. campaign and all that kind of stuff. And so, so GL, I think GL the first night rode with the forks and then the second night I was going to ride with the forks. But the funny story is, is I rode with him on the second night in practice and immediately I was like, they're not that good. 
And that was the first, like, and, and all it was is the whole internals were the same. It was just the, uh, basically I had stock out of tubes and GL had the factory out of tubes and they were a little stiffer. And that was kind of like the first coming of like making that step even better. Like I felt like, uh, 08, the bike was so much better. And the funny thing is, is they really didn't change it much. Right. I mean, like they, little things, but I think it was like, if, yeah, like in, in, in the big picture of like, Hey, like let's redesign this frame. I'm talking like they took a couple of millimeters of material off the backside of the frame. Um, I would say that that contributed a lot, but I think the engine hangers and how we did our engine configuration and, and where it was, I think probably paid a bigger role um lnm had come up and designed a uh, a better triple clamp that we all got um so so i think that like just one two little you know three little things um we went to acrophobic exhaust that year which made a huge uh difference in our engine um and so i think that in general our bike was really good in in know um, 08 um i think as a chassis it was one of the better the engine was you know it wasn't slow it wasn't fast it was just easy to ride um and so 08 started to look more promising and, and kind of getting back to what i was saying is when i used the factory fork in practice the next day um i kind of just didn't have the same feeling and so i actually said hey jill can I have this back i'm gonna go back to my old fork um and so from that moment on i think uh we all then had to figure out okay chad or you know i think maybe even jill ended up racing with it but we ended up racing with the stock you know, the stock out of tube and we had to just get them colored. So they look like the factory bike because, you know, and that was the first beginning of, Hey, we can't ride a bike that looks like we've got stock forks on, you know? So, um, but yeah, it was, Oh, it was a fun year. Like it kind of like it read, it rejuvenated me. Um, because I felt like, I don't know that we hit rock bottom, but I don't think Yamaha, on my side or GL side was successful at any point in 07. Um, and I think that, you know, Keith, I like of all the years of Keith, like I would probably give Kate Keith praise in the fact that he forced us to go to the Supercross test track on 100% stock bikes. Um, and literally, I think the only thing I started with was my handlebars. Um, I don't know if GL, you did that test or not, but I know I did it. Um, maybe it was during your outdoor season and you were doing it, but, um, literally we had factory bridge stones on it and my handlebars and we would put a pipe on it and then we would put the suspension on it and then we put the engine in and immediately we put an engine in and the bike kind of went to shit. I'm like, Hmm, interesting. How big of just a stock engine to a race engine, how big of a difference that made. And. So therefore it was like, okay, so there's, there's something in the engine, the stock one's too slow, but the fat, the, the, the race engine on the factory engine isn't making or, you know, gelling with the chassis. So then we had to, you know, then we did a lot of, you know, work with the chassis, you know, chassis and the engine and kind of step-by-step step, things started to come together. And I, and I would say that me personally riding a motorcycle after riding I would say 06 and 07 on motorcycles that didn't excite me. Um, 08 was that first year where I like got on it and just was like, okay, this is, this feels real. You know, like there was just something that was like, I felt like I had, you know, a gun to take to the gunfight again, rather than a knife taking it to the gunfight. So that was, that was 
you know, to answer your question on the 07 project or this LM project um, as a whole from how it was on the inner circle, um, because it was really a project. It was a Yamaha project within, you know, L&M. Um, you were still holding to Yamaha rules, which was... 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There was like, like Nathan Ramsey had a, um, you know, Nathan Ramsey had a, a an L&M bike. Um, but my bike and GL's bike were built, built at the same place. I don't even, you know, like after it was built, it was at L&M, but all my bikes were built and, and originated from Yamaha. Yes. Okay. So back to the same as the, um, McGrath era. You know? Yeah. So going into 08, this was your second title run. Oh, so you guys are right? Um, and it's interesting to hear how that all kind of came together. Um, you know, getting that bike dialed to where you finally felt comfortable again. You had an awesome season. There was also a lot of stories and I, I wasn't going to all the races at the time, but I heard a lot of stories of you out, like enjoying yourself. Uh, no. <laughs> so you said before, you know, you were all business, you didn't drink. And there was like kind of a point, obviously where it changed over in 08, you, you were going to some after parties, you were, you know, maybe had a dogger moment here and there, but you were getting it done. What changed? Yeah, there, definitely like, uh, in, as, you know, like speaking of the year 08, um, you know, like when, when James got hurt, it kind of was like, it throws you through a bit of an emotional roller coaster, to be honest, and not in a good way. You know, like I won my first title, Ricky got hurt. And then it's like, you know, when you rewind of everything that we just talked about, it's like, okay, now I, I really honestly feel like I have something to take to James. You know, I now have a motorcycle that I, I enjoy riding, uh, a team that I'm, I enjoy being around and it's kind of like, okay, you know, like in those little things that you're starting to plug all those little things in to make the picture, you know, the big picture work. And we came in super focused, ready to go swinging. You know, he, I won the first race, he won the second one. And then, you know, practice was going well at the third race and then he did whatever and blew out his knee. And then, you know, we didn't see him for the rest of the year. Um, and then it really just came down to Kevin and Kevin was having a really slow, really poor, you know, build up to that year. Um, so I quickly, you know, I won, I actually, I won every race in California that year. Um, and so I just kind of found myself like lost, to be honest with you. Like I look back and, um, you know, things that happen. And, and when you answer the question or you think about it now, it's just like, I was just lost. I was, you know, like there was a part of me that was bored. Um, you know, what, what made you tick, what made you thrive as an athlete was racing, you know, Ricky and James. Yeah. And now those two guys would gone. And, um, I was doing very little during the week and still getting the job done on the weekend. And, and, you know, and I just think that at that point, you know, one thing led to another and it just like, I was like, I was having fun and having fun was resulting in me riding in, in a window. Like what we talk about is like when you find your zone and things like that and everything that I was doing shouldn't have got the result or the feeling that I was getting. And I'm still so confused from it today, but you know, there were moments where, yeah, I mean, I did, I partied, I went to after parties, I would go out on a Friday night. Um, I remember Dallas Supercross and I got back to my motorhome about seven 30 in the morning and <laughs> took a quick shower, went to bed, uh, Oscar Wiedemann, you know, bashed down the door and, and had to wake me up for, 
practice. I'm like, all right, let's, let's go do practice. Fastest swing practice, won my heat race, won the main event, um, went and partied again. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, there were moments that you're, that you're less than proud of now as, as, as a dad, wouldn't want my kid to do it, but Hey, um, it happened and, and it was, it was, yeah. Like I, I think that what I acknowledge and what I understand is just, I was, I was bored. Like I was lost. I was kind of guy you need an antagonist, you know, like, and you lost them all, you know what I mean? So you're like, who do I, who do, who do I use to motivate? And you know, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to downgrade or down, you know, underrate Kevin. Um, but Kevin isn't that guy. Yeah. Right. He's He's easy going. He's friendly. He's easy going. Even when you're battling with him, we were still cool. You know, um, a lot of the after parties that I went to, <laughs> Kevin was at, <laughs> you know, so it just, it was different, you know, and I think it was just that really that combination of just, yeah, just trying to, trying to find, you know, well, yeah, you know, trying, I don't know what I'm trying to find to be honest. 10 years before that, if you'd have gone to have a seal on any given weekend, Jeremy and Fro were there in the channel yeah. doing beer right. Ball. Known. exactly you know so, so yeah and you'd always obviously I'd always heard about those days and um ricky completely changed the sport um so ricky was out and i don't know maybe it was it was on me to bring it back a little bit it lasted only it was a short short lived but it was fun yeah. um well, okay so talk about now the switch to suzuki the following year what brought yeah so up? basically uh honestly the change to suzuki What's strange when I look back at all this, it, like it ended so ugly and so bad. Um, but it really just was poor communication. Um, there was a promise uh, over a contract, um, you know, that, that, I, that I had witnessed that conversation um, with Bob Moore and Steve Astafin. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, the team had basically said, hey, you win a championship and we'll, we'll pay you more. Um, and that more was a lot more. Um, so then you, you know, when you get the job done and you feel like you did your job and, and whatever, then you think, okay, well, Hey, I, I expect this deal. And I was happy. Like, honestly, like the only question that I had at that moment was I was questioning, how do we fix this bike from bogging? That was literally the only question I had in those days. I, I loved the team. I loved the atmosphere as much as Larry and I ended really badly. Um, he was you just took him for what he was, um, is he was a guy that was willing to do anything to win. Um, and sometimes you didn't always agree with whatever that was to win, but it was the, the will to win matched the, the team, the team's will to want to get the do- job done. Um, and that's the guy you want sh- steering your ship. That's who yeah, you want that sh- steering the ship. You know, like there was so many days where like, okay, Yamaha says this, or they have this perimeter. Um, then, okay, well, if they have that perimeter, well, then Larry was not scared to step out of it, you know, yeah. and, and get it to done, get it done. And, and I was, I had a lot of confidence in Larry and, and Dudley. Um, what was the other guy's name, Gio? The long haired guy. Oh, um, now you put me on the spot. I know you told yeah. him that. He'll come to Yeah. You. Yeah. But he was, you know, a big part of the project. I'd hate to leave him out. Tommy. But, you know, like who? Tommy. Yeah, Tommy. Like basically our engine department being Tommy Dudley. Um and then really Bob Oliver Bob Oliver. 
um, you know, between those three guys, they were our, you know, engine, engine gurus. Um, we just, we never figured out how to make this thing stop bogging. And my crash, my crash in 08, um, at Detroit, um, was not my fault. And I think that when you crash and you're, you know, you've got a big points lead and all these kinds of things, you definitely, and in this case, like, you know, you kind of like sometimes, you know, how we are as athletes, you kind of brush it off and you're fine. It scared me. Like it was one of those things where the sport was going to the next level. We were starting to do these big triples on the tabletops and quad and things. And, and then now I have a motorcycle that, that scares me a little bit. And I loved it. It turned, it stopped, it went through whoops, actually ate whoops for breakfast. I think, um, it was awesome. It was great out of the start. Like we had kind of figured out the motorcycle to the point where I really enjoyed it. But Larry's big selling point was, Hey, we got Dudley. We got Tommy. Like, we're going to like, don't worry about all your Yamaha issues. We're going to fix them. And he never did. And he never could. And, and so I kind of lost faith in, in the project of like, we're going to be okay. Cause nothing was changing from 08 to 09. It was still the same. Um, and then Suzuki had come out with a fuel injected bike and I just kind of had heard that, Hey, a fuel injected bike, you don't, you don't have these issues. So I bought into that and I was scared. Like I was legitimately was scared and I didn't have confidence swinging a leg over a bike that was going to try to drive me into the ground and make me cough up blood and break bones and things like that. And that, that was truly the only breakdown um, of me wanting to explore something different other than that. I mean, you know, like you, you think of like why it all fell apart was really just, you know, agents wanting to get a certain number out of them and things like that. And then basically, you know, Larry was just like, Hey, we're going to go this route. Um, and that's what we're going to do. Um, and then he kind of just kind of turned around and, and went, went the James Stewart route. Um, and that was, that was the biggest thing that was, challenging for me and i just wanted something good you know from a, from a guy watching from the stands you looked to me uh, as far as your two or four stroke career i don't think i ever saw you look better than you did on that suzuki like your your yamaha yz 250 days i think maybe were the, the best in terms of your style and aggression but that suzuki looked like it just you gelled with it yeah no i did and i really gelled with the team you know like it was it was the first time that I went and I got to work with Mike Gosler, you know, Raj, Ian, um, and a lot of those guys on, on that, you know, that program at the, you know, the time and um, essentially just the KTM race team now minus goose. Um, and it was the first time of like seeing a different, like I got to see things differently, you know, like I got to experience the Yamaha way and then I got to see experience the Yamaha way. Uh, but, with a, you know, a taste of, or, you know, added thing of, of Larry. Um, you know, I got to witness working with Roger, Ian, and those guys just doing things. I don't even know how to put it into words, you know, just different. Um, I think in general, the base motorcycle, what the product that you had to work with, um, was awesome. That bike turned on a dime. And, um, the funny thing is, is, is everybody says that, you know, like it's, it's the typical comment of like, Oh, you look so good on it. Um, I struggled, you know, like, although I looked good and the result was always good, but the potential was always so much more in my opinion. Um, we, I would say that in that particular moment, going from, uh, going from KYB to Showa, Showa had a very, I had never really been a Showa guy at any point in my career. 
And so Shoah had a different feeling that I had to get used to. And, and there was a, like things I was expecting out of Shoah. Um, and it took a long time to figure that out. You know, when I went there, they were fully on 51 forks. Um, I could not turn the thing. And then, so then we had to back up. So basically all the latest, greatest technology was all in the 51. And then now I can't ride the 51. I can't ride it like Ricky did. And, and like some of these other guys, because I mean, Shower is really built around Ricky. Um, you know, he was the one at Honda and Honda is Shower in those days. Um, and so I think that a lot of the development and a lot of the, the direction was all kind of focused off of the guy winning, right. Which yeah. is Ricky. Sure. So, uh, so when I went, <clears throat> my, my feeling wasn't actually great. Like I actually really struggled, um, hated the 51 fork needed, you know, and I'd kind of like gone through that the year before, you know, we went from a 50 mil fork on KYB down to a 48. Then we had the factory 48 that wasn't even as good as the production 48. So it was kind of like I almost like I had learned a lot the year before. And so basically I had to then build trust within the team that that was, that was a good direction because they had had nothing but success as a, as a team and as a product in Showa. Um, 51s being awesome. Everybody at Honda loved them. Um, you know, and at that mo- at that point you had Davy Millsaps on Honda, who was just big and strong. And so anything strong or stiff in the front is perfect. Um, so I kind of had a bit of a, like they had their wall up and they didn't really buy into me wanting to go back to 49s. Um, you know, the technology that they had available was less in the 49. So it was kind of like we were, I felt like each and every weekend throughout the season, was was building you know building confidence in me and trusting me um and then i was just i guess i was lucky that i had adam uh, our suspension guy and he kind of him and i bonded really well um and he bought into you know my ideas and my way of wanting to go um because essentially i was taking them off whether it's right or wrong i was taking them off of their current path yeah um and so you know that you know, I always get a bit of a laugh that from the outside looking in, everybody was like, oh, dude, you gelled, you were awesome. I'm like, yeah, that's all true. But it was just it, like I, how I ended the season would have been awesome to start the season like right. that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but awesome. I mean, the motorcycle was unbelievable. Um, it was my first time working with the Japanese um, since I was in Europe. Um, at no point when I was at Yamaha did I ever interact or work with Japanese. Um, and so it was really fun for me to, you know, to get to experience that and ride under that, you know, that scenario. Um, you what, just about, what about Ian and Roger combination and <coughs> obviously fits into there too, but those two have been such a, like a power duo everywhere they've gone together. They've been successful. You just, you build trust. You, you quickly build trust in them because, you know, me being the way I was or stubborn or whatever. Um, I, I feel like I'm open-minded if people are communicating with me. Um, and so it just seemed like the book was always open. Um, I felt like I was learning. Um, I felt like they were learning and they were willing to learn. And, and so that combination, anybody that's willing to listen to you, whether, whether it's right or wrong, anyone that you feel trusts you and, and is listening to you, you, you immediately have confidence in them, you know? Um, and that was, that was Ian and Raj. Um, you know, like I got on the bike and 
And all I'd ever heard about was fuel injection, bike doesn't miss a beat. And then in all honesty, I got on the bike and it, it missed and it, it hiccuped just like a carburetor bike. Um, and quickly with the Japanese and the programming with Ian and everything like that, we got that thing. So it was kind of like, we came a long way, like the first bike that I rode to the, you know, quickly where it ended up, uh, in the direction we were going. Um, I was learning too, you know, like I'd never really worked with all these electronics and all these, you know, essentially you're kind of like, yeah, the bike feels like this and throw a needle. Like you, as a rider, you knew what, what you were feeling. Um, but how do you now describe, Hey, it feels rich. It feels lean, whatever to, to a computer. Yeah. And, and so I was learning too. And, and so the whole process of that was, I think for me, really enjoyable, really fun, um, kept me upbeat and, and, you know, Supercross was good. I think that that's a Supercross title that got away from me. Um, you know, I didn't win when I needed to win. Um, didn't oh, get on. Was that uh, James? James won again. Yes, oh seven oh nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I blame myself. I mean, I think that I wasn't. Um, you know, like I, I, I look today and I look back, and it was just I was, I was still, I was in such a better place but I was still fighting a lawsuit trying to get money and my, you know, my end of like with Larry and everything like that. So I think that, you know, you throw in the rivalry you have with James. Now he's on my old team and my old people, you know, people who I still really liked. Um, and then you got, it didn't end well with Mike and Larry on the team and they still owed me money and we were still in litigation. So it just, I felt like I was, I was like, I was stuck here when, I really was in a, such a good place, a good group of people behind me, and I just needed to move forward. Um, that's that's me viewing it from today yeah. rather than it, yeah. living in that moment. But it's hard, you know, when when somebody owes you $800,000 and you did your job and everything like that. And and for the most part, I, I wasn't, I did not like the team or did not want to leave the team. Um, it was really hard for me to take on at that point in my life. Yeah. That year, that summer, you won the title, right? Outdoor title. I won the outdoor title. And, and, what, what, and I just again, wonder what that means to you. That was your one outdoor title. Is that, does that like hold a special place to you? Or are you kind of like, eh, whatever, it's nice. It does. Because, and, 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 you know, and the championship, championship always feels great. But what feels great is I hadn't raced outdoors in a couple of years. And when I first raced, when I first started testing and everything like that, it wasn't like, oh yeah, this thing feels awesome. Like, let's go bet on myself. Let's like, I had already, like I was in Australia. So like after Supercross, I was pretty pissed that I lost um, the championship. And I was in, you know, just, I didn't think I was in, like I was in a happy place in general, but like the, that the litigation and the, the lawsuit with L&M was still running. And so I'm just like, dude, I just, I just want to get away. And so I go to Australia and then halfway through, and then I left conversations like, Hey, I would like to ride outdoors again. Like I generally was having fun at the racetrack with Suzuki and goose and all those people. And so I'm kind of like, I would really like to go. And then Roger's just like, dude, we, you know, like that was really the beginning of the, you know, the suppression and everything happening. And I'm like, I, and Roger and Ian are just like, I don't think we have the budget to do it. You know, like we can't pay you more because it was just a super cross only deal. I didn't know. Um, and so at that point I'd gone back to Australia and I think at, for some reason, I feel like that year we had two weeks off, two weekends off, which was, you know, was weird because we only have one. Um, and so I'd gone home kind of thinking, 
you know, of all the talks that I'd had with Ian, it's just, and, and Rod, it's just not going to happen. Um, and then kind of one thing led to another, um, you know, Steve and Bobby Moore kind of brung up some ideas and we're like, Hey, let's, let's gamble on ourselves. Let's, let's take a, um, let's not necessarily ask for more money or expect more money. Let's like, do you think you can win a title? I'm like, yeah, I think I can win a title. Um, you know, James was still out and, and everything like that. So I'm like, let's give it a try, you know? And so we, we took an insurance policy out and, uh, parts unlimited did it and Suzuki did it, um, which gave me a total of, uh, $5 million if I was to win a title. Um, Mike, that seems like a pretty good You're way right. to come back. Probably. And I would ride outdoors for that. That seems, it seems doable, you know? <laughs> well, we took a, t- we took a Lloyd's of London policy out for Townley when he came over and wrote. For oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And because his, because he hadn't had good results in a little while, like his, yeah. his rate was actually pretty good. We got it for right. a reason. And I would assume yours was probably the same having not done that. So, yeah. Like, earlier. so if you, if you, uh, if you think about it, I had only ever won one moto, never won an, o- an overall, never won a title. So I was low risk. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Okay. You know, like if they really knew that James, Ricky and all these people weren't there, but still, I mean, even in that generation, there was, you know, there was a lot of guys, yeah. you know, um, Villapoto was still there, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Alessi was winning Gio. I don't know. Did you, did you were her? That was when your eye, right? I wasn't there. Yeah. JG was going fast. Yeah, JG was going fast. Wyndham was still there. Um, all these things. And so Andrew Short, Tedesco, you know, Millsaps, like there's still a lot of guys. And so I think that, yeah, they were willing to take the, you know, the risk. And um, and then so I quickly jumped back on a plane and, you know, I hadn't been really training. So I wasn't like, I wouldn't call myself I was in outdoor shape or like, hey, you know, like the long-term goal is like you do Supercross and, then, you know, you start at the end of Supercross, yeah. you start ramping up and changing your training regime and all that kind of stuff and i was basically just hanging out in australia having fun for a couple of weeks um and then roger's like i thought we can do this all right let's do it you know and so i remember the first day i rode um the bike was terrible and i was just like oh my gosh this thing like it just don't have the feeling you know and but you felt like it had so much potential but i couldn't figure it out you know and Unless he basically was racing his the bike before because he broke his leg during uh, uh, Supercross, and then so he didn't really have time to get ready. So he just basically they just put him on a on his bike that he was fast on the year before against James, and off he went. Um, and so he was just dude, he was hauling ass that year. He was really strong. I mean, he was strong the year before. He really gave yeah. you know he was really the only guy that could could have <laughs> stole a win away from from James. Um, and so. Anyway, one thing led to another and I'm like, oh man, what have I got myself into? This whole outdoor thing just isn't working out. And and it, it took a lot of patience on my side, you know? Like I put I put when what was it? RV went one one at Glen Helen and then he blew his knee out at I think during the week and then he didn't ride the next race. And at that point, I'm like, I have to put trust in the fact that Alessia has never got it done, you know. And, and I was kind of just using my knowledge and my years. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay, just keep working, keep working, keep working. And Alessi wasn't testing anything, you know, like, the, so I, I essentially had the whole team, 100% team read, you know, where whatever I wanted, they were willing to work for. Um, it wasn't that they were you know, discrediting him, but he was happy and he was turning motos. He was winning 
winning races and he was happy. And I, I just didn't have that comfort. So they were, you know, we were sending sharks to Florida, forks to, you know, Florida and, um, and then kind of like week after week, we just started like getting a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. And then finally towards the end, we essentially just went back to my fork, but we went back to Alessi's, um, which essentially was Ricky Carmichael shock. Um, it had a certain, had a couple of different things that they, uh, that they don't no longer do, but it was like a shock setting that was really from like Oh seven, um, Ricky setting. And, and so I just jumped on that. And, and as soon as we put that on the bike, everything changed and the balance of the bike came back. And, and then that was when it just started clicking. And I would say what I take most is like, just how, how frustrated you were because the result wasn't there and, and the feeling wasn't there, but then you seeing a group of people work with you and trust you to get from here to here. Um, that was the funnest and most enjoyable project that I was a part of, um, that, you know, just witnessing that. And then obviously winning races, winning the title and, and things like that. What round was it where you were like, okay, I'm in, I'm like really in this thing or, or I'm going to win this. Was there a point? So I went one, one, the weekend that Alessi got hurt was at, um, uh, was at high point. Um, and I went one, one and I like the feeling was there, you know, like I crushed it. Even when you go back and you watch the video, um, just at no point was I really challenged. Like it was a fun weekend. It was one of those moments where you just were in your little window and the bike was good. Um, but I would say Millville, um, Millville, Millville on, it was just like something clicked, you know, like the bike had progressed. My fitness was finally at a point where I trusted from gate drop to the end, no matter where I started, like, I feel like I could throw down for two 35 minute motos. Um, and I think that in all honesty, I think I underestimated taking a couple of years off of outdoors because coming back, it was hotter than I remembered. It was longer than I remembered. It was rougher than I remembered. Um, just all those things going through your mind and you're like, what have I got myself into? You know, and the first race is Glen Helen and it's like Glen Helen's brutal for even when you're in the best shape of your life, I think brutal, you know, Glen Helen's gnarly. Um, and so it was just a tough, it was kind of like a tough learning experience or, or, you know, like that mental game of like, just stay calm, stay focused, keep chipping away during the week, uh, work on the bike, work on your fitness. And that was a, you know, and you two know this, but like, you can't, you can't go all testing and no training, you know, like there has to be, you got to do a little and a little, but when you're trying to get here and you're trying, you can't go this way there and you can't go this way. You kind of like, you got to, it's got to all meet. And I think that that was, that was what was really challenging, um, in 09. Okay. So I, I wanted to ask you this earlier, but maybe this is a better time later on in your career when you're making these switches. Obviously that summer was great. Huge payday. I didn't realize I didn't realize you had such a big policy. That's awesome. <clears throat> I always, if someone asked me to describe you as a racer, I would say maybe with the exception of Ricky, but, but maybe not, I, you know, like I said, Ricky was driven by fear. I would say you are the most mentally strong racer, at least from my generation for it. I, I can't speak for Hannah and those, some of those guys, but you would have a shitty race, a shitty series, a shitty season. And you'd show up at the next weekend believing you could win genuinely believing you could win and i don't see a lot of people do that you know what i mean like yeah and it, how and do i don't know if it was that? just right i don't know if it was stubborn and stupid side of me <laughs> but like there was always i always i always like to explain that there was a feeling and 
I felt like if I had that feeling of what I expect from a riding, from the bike, from everything, from the track and whatever, if I tick those boxes and I was a second or a third place guy, it's like, Hey, you're, you're a second place guy. I'm third place guy. But there was just so many moments where you're just like, you're, I'm better than this. Like, why do I, why am I struggling so bad here with this? And, and that's why for me, I don't know if it's mental or just believing that there's more. Um, but for me, it was about, I don't know, like, just like, you always hear like, oh, you know, the bike's this, the bike's that, or it's always the bike's fault. And it wasn't necessarily that it was always the bike's fault. I just felt like, like I'm a MotoGP fan and when the bike's winning, it's the bike winning. When the bike sucks, it's the bike that sucks, you know? And we, and the, and the sports changing, especially since the, the four stroke and the fuel injection, when the bike sucks, I don't care who you are. You ain't winning, you know, like it's, it is, it's a, it's not that 80% rider, 20% bike anymore. It's, it's a much bigger percentage on the team and the bike. Um, and so I was the early generation of that, you know, that crossover where the bike started playing in the role of it, I think. And so, and maybe just me, like whenever I didn't have the feeling I couldn't execute and do my job. So therefore I always fought hard and I always, I always wanted that feeling. And that was, that's, that's kind of how it ended off, you know, two months ago, even at my first race, like the last seven races, we were still working on the bike, you know, like it wasn't like I was riding it out and finishing off a career. Like, like there was a feeling that I was chasing, you know, um, we switched from a Honda to a KTM because the feeling was there and the, it was better. And I, that was what I always was willing to chase, you know, like just there's this feeling that you have on a motorcycle and when you have it and you, it just, everything starts to fall into place. And, and that was where I felt that I was probably more, of a MotoGP fan and the things that I heard and read on that side of the world, um, they vocalized, Hey, we're struggling with this, with the bike and this, and people buy into it and go, ah, he's always complaining about the bike or anything like that. But I gave real, I actually gave you too much information in the fact that now you're using against me because I'm saying this, this, and this, and people can't comprehend that the smallest changes can make the biggest difference. Um, and that's probably what I learned today over the younger, the younger version of me. So going into this next season, seems like everything was good at Suzuki. You, at the end of Supercross, were delivering, you get them an outdoor title. What happened the following year? Just, they just had no money. Um, they, you know, Suzuki, Roger were, were, were having, you know, big clashes with Rockstar. Um, and so I think the Japanese and, and Raj, weren't seeing eye to eye with what rod you know what rockstar was starting to do um you know i think that we it was the changing of the guard changing of the era in the fact that you know the majority of the money the lump sum of the money came from the manufacturer and then it was always just you know people were just happy to get some sponsorship money and then suddenly now the the big money or the big pie was never there so then we needed to rely on this and i think it was that was the beginning of rockstar wanting to take over the bike no longer is it a really a suzuki now it's a rockstar suzuki it's we want more black we want more the yellow star um and i think that there was a clash in that beginning you know um i mean we all know and i think we all have a story of of a keith mccarty 
And for me to live that generation of blue, blue and white, blue and white, white on blue, blue on white, that's the only colors we can work with. And then now you look at a current generation Yamaha and you're like, what the F is going on here? You know, they actually now sell a limited edition black Yamaha with barely any Yamaha on it or any blue. And so my head just goes, <laughs> but that's the generation. And that was the time. Yeah. The, the changing of the guard and the timing of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that, yeah, just, they weren't really willing to give up their motorcycle and the signage of their motorcycle to a energy drink and things like that. So, um, yeah, that, and then, so therefore I think they offered me less than half of my contract, um, because they didn't have anything. Um, and then, uh, and Kawasaki was offering me a very good contract and monster. Um, you know, so I wasn't going to take a pay cut and I was going to go from looking from the outside. I was going to go to a very good team, a very good bike. Um, and so I signed a two year deal with Kawasaki because, um, because Suzuki and th that was, you could see the change coming, you know, Suzuki was, was hurting in whatever area. I don't know. Um, sales. and the sport was, the sport was changing. What's that sales. <laughs> but I, that's the end result. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't think it's dirt bike sales. I don't know that we've ever gone racing <laughs> dirt bike sales. I think it's four wheelers and, you know, and Hayabusa's and oh, everything. XXR's, yeah. everything. And, and for whatever reason, Suzuki was dropping in, in, in everything. And so, so therefore the big, you know, the big picture, and you could kind of see Ian and Raj at that point pulling back and figuring out new plans. So when, and it was only a short year later, um, that they went to KTM, yeah. um, you know, so sitting here today, would I go to Kawasaki? And, or would I take a half of the paycheck and stay at Suzuki? I'd probably stay at Suzuki, but I, I made a decision that was best and presented to me. Like I didn't think that I was going to struggle at Kawasaki. I didn't think yeah. that I would struggle with the team or anything like that, you know? Um, so from the outside looking in, it was, it was an easy decision to make, you know? Um, but yeah, I, as it was, I, I really struggled um, at Kawasaki. And what was the struggle there? Was it with management? I think staff, yeah, or was I, it with I didn't, I mean, I didn't, essentially I didn't have any trust. And when you don't trust, like when you go from, when you go from Raj, Ian, Goose, probably the best team that you, you know, that you, up until that day, the best team that you've ever dealt with that, that fully bought into you, they supported you, you trusted them, they trusted you. Um, and then you go to Kawasaki and I just didn't have that same trust. I didn't have that same feeling. Um, I was essentially a monster athlete riding a Kawasaki who Kawasaki had a, you know, bleeding green kid, you know, Ryan Villapoto, who had been there for years and years and years in the whole system, you know, everything was groomed out ahead of him. Um, and kind of what you were seeing is, but you know, like Ricky had done that. James had done that. Um, but Rick, you know, and so I just think that I was viewed as that. I, it was kind of like, it was a Kawasaki kid versus a monster kid <laughs> or monster guy. Um, and we just didn't gel. Um, Do you feel like an outsider at times? Oh, hundred percent. I never felt a part of the team. Um, but I will say that, you know, that aside, it was, it was really challenging from the beginning because that was the year, um, you know, so at the end of 2009 is when Bridgestone went away. Um, and so I was in a contract 
And a big part of my Monster contract was Monster was now a big part of my Supercross series in Australia uh, called Super X. And so now it was becoming Monster Energy Super X. Um, so this, you know, so there was a lot of things that made sense, you know, me aligning with monster, my series in Australia is going to be monster. Um, my contract had me going down and racing the six or seven races that we did. Um, so it was a good collaboration. So, you know, that was a part of it. And so the first tests, essentially I did, I think two, three day tests. It was all on Bridgestones. Um, and there was still that pipe dream that we were going to somehow save and keep Bridgestone around. Um, and so all my tests were done on, uh, on Bridgestone. Um, and the bike wasn't that bad to be honest with you. Like I, I wasn't struggling as bad as what, what we did, you know, come Anaheim. Um, and then essentially we shipped everything to, uh, to Australia. And then right before I jumped on the plane, they're like, Hey, we need you to do a Dunlop test because, um, we're no longer sending Bridgestone to Australia. We're going to send Dunlops and we're switching to Dunlop right now. Well, the first day that I swing a leg over on a Dunlop, it was just not even close, you know, just like I was a second and a half slower and every bit of good that I had with the bike went away. And, um, I struggled. I couldn't go through the whoops. Couldn't, I didn't trust the front end, um, to the point where Brock Glover says to me, he looks at me and he says to me, he says, he says, well, you're not trying. Are you trying? And I said, Brock, I don't want to ride your Dunlops any more than, then, then I want to lie to you about saying that, that it's, it's the tire. I said, I don't, I'll be honest with you right now. I'll look you in the face. I said, your t- your tires suck. I don't want to ride them. I want to go back on my bridge stones and that is it. But let's be clear. I will work my ass off from sun up to sundown because this tire sucks and I have to race this tire, whether I like it or not. So let's fix it. And so him and I were fine from that m- moment forward. And I said, I said, you will get my 100% at all times. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the process that happened over those next months, you know, like this is September, October, um, you know, that October, November, December testing period that we normally do in California, I was in Australia. Um, and so I was, you know, I was already somewhat the outsider on the team, but now you've really taken the outsider and you've sent him to the other side of the world. Um, RV was, was very unique and could ride anything. Um, and so all his Dunlop issues, he wasn't really relating to the issues I was having. Um, and so I, I probably would say that my failures at, um, at Kawasaki were more contributed to the fact that my contract needed me to go to Australia. And therefore I didn't get to, because right away I was like, this is not healthy. Like I need to stay in America. Like, like I need to test more. I need to be like, I needed to get, um, more adjusted to the tire i felt like i needed to be a part of the testing program um we needed to oh, adapt the suspension we we i needed to adapt the suspension you know because we essentially you we got a new tire and and it was better but really we just adapted the, the suspension you know we we had to we had to work i went from again um, i had to three years in a row i went from a, you know we went i went back to kyb after spending a year at shower and then Kawasaki was big on the 50 mil fork. And then they had this fork that was, you know, it had all these adjusters on it. And it was, it was, they had so much money invested in it that I wrote it and was like, it's amazing. Like it feels great, but it's so stiff. I have zero traction in the front end. Plus now you've put me on a Dunlop. So I just have no feeling at all. And so I couldn't ride it and I really struggled. So immediately we went to uh, 48 forks. Well, the only 48 fork is they had was a stock one or, or a kit fork. And then we ran into that same problem where I rode the kit fork and it was, 
the factory fork, but it was still, I think that they make that stiffer that it pretty much feels like the 50 mil fork anyway. Um, so I'm like, Hey, I want to use the production tube. Well, it, now it looked like we were riding a Yamaha because we had production front end in it and they were super against our bike looking like a production bike. And I'm like, oh. like isn't that a better selling point? And the yeah. fact that your factory athlete is on a production looking fork, like shouldn't that say, Hey, our, <laughs> our fork's badass, but they didn't, you know, race teams don't look at it that way. And, and so it was just, it was a lot of clashing of the head. They didn't trust me. And then I didn't trust them. Um, and then I, I really needed to abort and not go to Australia and I needed to stay and rebuild that relationship, build the trust. And I just, I never got that period, you know, like we never got to work together. It was always, you know, management in the USA, me and uh, Dana Wiggins in Australia having all these issues, but not really being able to do anything about it. So it was just, it kind of started as, at a frustrating point. And I honestly believe it was more the fact that I was on a plane and had to go to Australia when I think that I needed to be in California. I needed to be working on a relationship, working with the team, working with Dunlop um, to make, but, you know, make the bigger picture better. That's not like a trip you could cancel, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean when, especially when you're a pot owner on the series, yeah. it's, it's a tough one to cancel, but I was all the way up until the first race. I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like take me, like send me home. Like, and I was begging my partner. I'm like, and then, you know, Monster obviously was pissed that I was trying to get out of it. But I'm like, look, and it's it's so hard to to sell the bigger picture to people that don't get it. Yeah. And and I could see it. Like I could feel it and see the writing on the wall. And I was trying everything in my power to, you know, do the things that I felt, you know, that were right, or at least because you know yourself. Like, I mean, at that point, I really truly believe that like I know who I am. I know what makes me better and, and, and communication is what makes me better. You know, when I'm happy, I go fast when I'm happy, I'm comfortable. Yeah. Um, and so all those things I needed to work on. And unfortunately I just, I was kind of stuck in Australia in that contract. Let me, let me ask you this real quick. Did you ever peek into Davey Millsap's locker? <laughs> I was there before him. So it was okay. <laughs> uh, damn it. Um, all right, so then we never did find out about David Millsaps. We locker, never figured out what's in the locker. Nobody. Uh, what's in the box? Okay, switching to two two motorsports. What what led you to just say, you know what, f it, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, so I just think that I burn I burn the candle at both ends, and 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 my comment on you know Coop coming into the year and just being a little bit more stressed and getting sick and things like that. Like that was 2010, you know, like I just, I wasn't happy from the second I swung a leg over that bike with Dunlops on it and it just, nothing gelled. And so I was pissed. I was stressed. I got hurt. And when you look at all those things, that's why I got hurt and you just weren't in a good place, you know? And then I, it seemed like I broke a hand and it would be like, oh yeah, a few weeks, you should be back. You know, they put a plate in that thing. You're good to go. Um, I was off for so long. It just seemed like it never really healed as quickly as I thought it would. I came back, um, for Daytona. And then I think the day before I was leaving the Daytona, I broke my thumb. Um, so the, the weekend that I was supposed to come back and then I never got to come back and race. So just one thing led to another. It was just so taxing on me. Um, you know, kind of like, and at that point that was the second year that I'd gone to Australia. So when you think about it, like in 09, Previous to 09, 
I had taken the summer off, you know? So I kind of, I felt like I kind of became a little bit more acclimated to just taking the summer off and learning and trusting that process. Well then Oh nine, I raced, you know, all season I did outdoors, which I hadn't done. Then I did the nations. I did us open. I went to Australia. I raced all season. Then I, I raced all the way to the checkered flag in Vegas for a championship with, uh, with, with against James. And I fell four points short. Um, add into that the litigation and a lawsuit going on and kind of eating at me. Then I, you know, go and do it all again. I sign up for it. And then I, I, there was no break. I did donations again. I did, um, you know, the testing I, I went to Australia and then it just, I think that I just burned the candles at both ends. I got sick. I wasn't well, I wasn't mentally in a good place. Um, and I just wanted to get away from it. Like I did, I wasn't having fun. It wasn't enjoyable um life should have been great i had my first child um and then on top of all that that that's the year that mcfarlane passed away mm-hmm. um you know so i think uh you know you 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 plug in all those things that are real and the fact that you're you're burning the candle at both ends you know i finished vegas uh i had my first child i literally am carrying him in a bath you know in these car seat up the steps of my house and i get the phone from natalie that you know what had just happened couple of days later, I'm on a plane home to Australia. So even like that testing period or that rest period, whatever you want to call it, you're, you're supposed to be happy walking into your house with your first child. And in my world just broke down in the fact that, you know, I just lost one of my best friends. Um, so I just think that when you look at everything, everything just really came to the surface. And I just thought this is not fun for me. Um, and so I just said, and, and Kawasaki did not trust me, you know, Reed Nordine, uh, like I was getting tests and my tests were telling me one thing and he's like, well, we want you to come to your doctors. Immediately. That is how you lose me. You know, if you don't trust me and you don't want to listen to me, I'm out, you know, like he lost me at that point. And so I got on a plane, I went to California, I did blood tests and the blood work. And, you know, I did all the things that he wanted to do because he's doctor and all this kind of stuff. And I just felt like that wasn't the environment that I wanted to be in. And so therefore I just said to him, I said, Hey, I think it's best that we go out separate ways. Um, and I just think that that's the manly thing to do. Like my contract is amazing. It's awesome in the big picture. It makes so much sense to just stay and to just whatever. But I, I don't like, for me, you want to be happy. You want to enjoy what you're doing. It wasn't about the dollar. It was about, you know, the, the moments and the, and the experiences and for me, I just stepped away. I didn't ride a motorcycle or swing a leg or do anything motorcycle related. I went back to Australia for two months um, and kind of like each week, every month, you know, like getting towards like the two, three months into it, I started like starting to finally feel good. And I'm like emotionally in a, in a, you know, in a, in a good bubble. And I was like, man, I think I want to race again, you know? Um, and then all the teams at that point, I mean, at that point I'm 28 years old Um you're pretty washed up at 28. And so everybody, nobody was willing to take a a gamble on me. Um, And it's so funny to me. Like I look at the teams, you know, like Honda in general, um, why Honda wouldn't have, like I would have went to Honda for free, you know, I would have been their best results, you know, for the next three years. Um, And it's just funny. Like when I, and that's kind of like where you don't get bitter at the industry, but you get a real understanding of it. They're very short minded. They're very, they live in the now they don't look at previous and where and what sells motorcycles on a global basis. 
Um, and so for me, it was just like, I needed to step away. And then once that desire to want to ride again, um, somehow I ended up buying, I think I bought all the bikes, to be honest with you. I bought all the bikes, rode them all. And, um, I remember you saying the Honda was like, uh, like a racer's bike at the time. Like it was like, there was just something about like that. The generation was Oh nine to, uh, 12, that bike. It just like I gelled with it. Like it was light, it was nimble, it stopped, it turned, the engine was nice. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. So I basically just I I ended up I sold all the other bikes. Um had I went to California for a day, uh, did a day of testing with uh bones on some kit uh show stuff. Um I went to Australia and did a race. Uh and then so that was where I learned my lesson from the year before. Uh, my partner's like, you know, like I had a contract and he's like, you're going to have to come and race. And I'm like, I'm not coming. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't do this. It's, it's unsustainable. Um, and I said, so you, you need to, the, the series has to survive without me. Um, if it can't survive without me, then, uh, then this is a terrible bu- you know, business decision. And so I went and did one race in my hometown. They got 20 plus thousand people there. And then every race, I think struggled to get 5,000. So did I sell tickets? It seemed like it. Um, so I just think that I, and I had fun. I enjoyed it. And at that point, my bike was essentially what Troy Lee Honda was, you know, like basically Troy Lee was working with PC. Um, so I would get the, um, I would get to basically have whatever bike I had with Mitch or, you know, through Mitch and bones, I would essentially just have it at Troy Lee. Um, so I came back, I rode it and, and, you know, no surprise that I was comfortable on it because it was essentially my suspension. Anyway, it was, yeah. you know, all the things that I like, right. That's what you're talking I, about. I did. Yeah. I believe it was Townley's bike maybe that I rode or bike that we had for him. Yeah. 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 So then, uh, so yeah, so I, I jumped on it and, uh, and the funniest thing is typical me really just you know, put it down on the paper is, is another thing that I did. But at that point, um, at the same time, Kawasaki kind of lost faith. There was a lot of change at parts unlimited. Uh, Jeff Fox, um, had, had pulled out of his position and his dad took it over. Um, and the day that happened day, everything changed. And so my, my long, long time, uh, partnership with, uh, parts unlimited suddenly now is in jeopardy. Um, and everything about that, like, man, talk about an individual who I love, Jeff Fox, God bless him. And just one of the raddest humans you've ever met, what, what he says he can do, he's going to do it. Whether it has to come out of his own pocket, he's going to do it, you know? And so I was used to this and then it just became a real, you know, generic brand and, and, and how things were getting handled. And we just, we just kind of went our separate ways. And, um, suddenly I was out of a job. Uh, I didn't have a, I didn't have a clothing deal. So like here I am at 28 years old with my first child. And I'm like, shit, that went to shit real quick. And then, uh, anyway, I called up Beaker and I said, Hey, send me some gear, you know? And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, send me some gear. So he sent me some gear and I wore it at the first race that I raced in Australia. Um, and then when I came back, I had to wear, wear the TLD and, uh, and for whatever reason, I just, I, their helmet, I couldn't wear it. Mm. And and 100% I made the, 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 the decision. Like I was like, I can't wear this helmet. I don't want to wear this helmet. I want to be a Fox guy and nothing bad against TLD. The, the helmet just didn't fit me correctly. And I'm sure that we could have got it to fit correctly. I, I, you know, I'm not 
this is not my first radio. I know that not everything fits right the first time. You can customize everything. And I'm just like, no, I just want to be a Fox guy. And that was it. And I said, no, I don't want to do this deal. I'm going to go start my own team because I want to be a Fox guy. <laughs> That's, wow. how Tutu Motor- That's literally how Tutu Motorsports started because, um, because I just wanted to wear Fox. And I remember Honda. there was some confusion because the feedback after the test was that you really liked the bike. I, it was great. And I liked the people. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, wasn't a bad experience. It was, it, it seriously came down to the fact that, um, that I had set my mind on, I wanted to be a Fox guy. Well, we're really, we're, we're out of time, dude. I know you got to get your kids BMX race and we still have so much to cover. Uh, this two part show is going to have to turn into a three part show. So, uh, we'll, we'll connect and get a third date here to, to lock in the third show, but thanks so much for coming on. Um, your story is fascinating, man. It's, it's, uh, I think for a lot of people, kind of the second golden era of the sport you know i think the 80s and 90s were cool and then it was a dip and now that that era of 0506 when all you guys that whole time you raced through it was just an incredible time so yeah it was and uh i mean it's always fun to go back down memory lane and it's kind of therapeutic i think you know kind of talking about the times and and it's fun to talk about it now i think because you have such a different perspective of it today than than when you lived it and i like to try to tell it in the way that it was then to how I feel about it today. Yeah. Um, because I think that you, there's always that misconnection you know, connection with people on, they see you making decisions or say, or make comments in that moment, but they don't know the full picture and the bigger picture of like what you were thinking. And it's, it's, I think it's always nice to, you know, if they hate you, they hate you, I guess, but at least it gives you a moment to okay. express and, and, and tell you the full story, you know, and yeah. of how it was. And, for me, it, it's actually fun. Like it, I get, I have joy in talking about, you know, the, the good, bad and the ugly. And that's, that's part of it. That's what, that's what kept me in it for so long, you know? So that's why we have so much to talk about. Your memory's pretty darn good. You bring up that. I even remember your, I even remember your races. I know it's nuts. Yeah. Listen, we want to charge you for the therapy bill. We'll just, that's free of charge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get a hold of you and we'll set up round three. All right. Cheers, boy. Thank Thanks so much, dude. Thanks. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam Cianciarillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced, and after talking to him, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, head over to PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for a chance to win a free unit or get 20% off your next purchase. That's PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. 
Check out our website, thehiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Mihilo Concepts. Mihiloconcepts.com. See the sunrise. I wake up in the morning feeling so nice. I burn a couple bowls of the alright. I look out to the world and it's all mine. Yeah, it's all mine. I see palm trees and joints, kids smoke palm trees like ointment. My wee breath is fresh cause I keep my appointments. Now I can finally see like I smoke some DMT. What you think we should sound like? What you think we do at night? Cause we the best of this shit. We made a mess of this shit. We wrecked the rest of all the western with the recklessness. If you's a bitch, you might get snatched up like some necklaces. This where the rest of us live. You, you, you say. You say we feel like a West Coast. I say we sound like a pastor. Alright, that was Chad Reed. Uh, so good to have him on as always. And uh, we were hoping to get through the whole rest of his career in two parts. Not going to happen. So uh, I guess we're going to reconnect, get him on on a part three. Uh, we still got to get through all the 2-2 Motorsports stuff, which was amazing stuff. I mean, the Chatapult is when it out. There's so many more things just in that to talk about. And then everything he's done since then and, and injury to his ankle at the straight rhythm. How can you go through a guy's career in one show? When his career is like three times longer than anybody yeah. else's ever. I suppose we should have anticipated this. <laughs> yeah. Um, no worries. Reedy sounds like he's cool to, to get back with us for a part three. So we will eventually wrap up with him. I hope you guys enjoyed that part. Hey, uh, you know, the thing is, too, you know what I enjoy is he seems to enjoy going into great detail. Yeah. Which is just amazing. Like, I, he didn't want to rush through anything, which is and Considering so how many times he's probably talked about his career. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, and like you mentioned, his memory is uh, when he was talking about tracks, you know, from back then, I'm like, what yeah. test days and what we did. And I was like, oh, that's that jail. You pushed the front end here and your foot peg wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's really, he's really got a good uh, grasp of things that happened. And, and well, he's, he's a true here. student and teacher of the sport. He's, like, he's, he's very sharp. One thing I, I learned with Chad very quick is when him and Ellie left Australia, you got to imagine they were, I think, I don't even know if Ellie was 18, but I think Chad just turned 18. But they went to Europe and then America, two different continents, as kids. Yeah. Trying to live adult lives, being professional, doing the right thing, learning how to live and adjust. There's a lot of things I do admire and respect, but I also think Chad, like you said, is a student. Like you realize he's off, he's been watching and studying what everyone's doing. Everything. But when you talk to him, it seems like he's just cool and laid back. But he's a very He's very in tune with everything that's going on. Yeah, and, and I like that he's, um, as he mentioned, he can kind of give you his perspective when he was young, yeah. you know, when he was in it, and then he, his perspective now because, you know, in the first show, he busted my balls a little bit for saying he was a, a cocky, Vegemite <laughs> eating, whatever. And he remembered the exact comment, yeah, too. Yeah, he did. But, uh, you know, in defense of myself, sound like an asshole, he really was, he was super cocky when he came over. He was 20 years old or 18, whatever he was, I mean, he was young. And he was winning, and he he, he he was really backing it up. But still, we, you're not used to hearing guys talk like that. Hey, in defense of you, you you sounded like an asshole before, though. Yeah, it's not the first time. Right. No, it's, but... And it won't be the last. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's blown me away. But I love a guy that will go. Yeah, no, I was I was I was young. I I, I even in this show, he mentioned I wish I would have communicated better. I wasn't good at communicating. I was just kind of focused on. You know what's amazing is like we're saying it's like he's so self aware and he looks at each stage and he talks about I was thinking that then and this was wrong or that was wrong and then he just he keeps building on his. It, it just like it's amazing. How well, much he... my my thought on the you know communication part because I've I've had some of those same issues, which is you're a racer, and if things if the bike or team's not getting you with what you want right there and then, you do you can become a little frustrated. Then you start, and I think the communication comes in. You're talking out of passion and emotion, yeah. which can be translated to this guy's bitching about everything. He's not happy, like, and then it creates this rift in a team. Because there's always that fine line. I know you've been through it. We've all been through it. Where, when you say there's something wrong with the bike in the beginning, they're like, "Okay, you know, we'll listen, we'll try." But then, if they try and you're still not happy, you can start sensing it's like, "Is it the bike or is it this guy?" You know. And then, and then that rift starts. And if you don't communicate and sit down and go, "Look, we're all in this together. Let's make the most of it." It can be easy where they're like, "I'm not making excuses. Just shut up and fix the bike." You, can, you know, flip side is. Just shut up and ride the bike. Well, at the end of the day, how many people are, are really dialed in good communicators at 20, 22 years old? Very, very, very few. How many are, are good communicators at <laughs> 40 years old? <laughs> right. So at 20, you're just, like you said, you're kind of, emo everything is emotional. This is my racing and you're not doing what I want and you yeah. you respond emotionally. And we, we tell people, whether they're racers or even men out there who act too emotionally, like take the emotion out of it. Let's think logically. Let's speak logically, right? Factually. It's the Advice but you don't learn racing. that until you learn 10 years mistakes. yeah until 10 years after you've been done racing so anyway it's really cool because he is an older for racing he's an antique i mean you know, he's been going for 25 years, 25 years? like what, what we always say is like there's always a 10-year window i mean he's like completely shatters that rule yeah i mean he was racing well i mean he did the australian what stuff, he, but he, was he started racing professionally at 15 in australia and, and he's what he 30 he's 39 Eight? 38. Yeah, 38, 2039. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's crazy. crazy. So, anyway, um, thank you to him for coming on. I want, I want to make a quick mention. If anybody's down in the Florida area, there's a race coming up that uh, Kenny Watson's promoting. Wes Kane is involved with it. He's going to be announcing. It's called the Bling Cup, <laughs> uh, which is fitting for Kenny Watson. <laughs> And for West King. And for West King. I Maybe imagine Maybe Nice will show up. anything else for that guy. Uh, but it's August 29th. Uh, go to bloodmoneyracing.com to get some more info on it. they got a practice day and then a race. $3,000 pro purse. Uh, should be a cool event. If you're looking for races to do, I know there's not a lot going on. Man, great chance to go down if your pro makes the money. If you just want to race, get on a good track and have some fun. So bloodmoneyracing.com. Can I, can I give my quick story of West King? Let's hear it. So, remember that race up in uh, Utah, Powder Mountain? Powder Mountain. I had a few years. So, uh, <clears throat> Wes Kane's doing the announcing. And if anyone knows Wes Kane, I think a lot of you do, but some of you may not. He's a character, and he's pretty funny. But we were up in, the, we're up in the, the control tower. So, I was done with my race watching some of the amateur kids. And he was just, you know, talking by himself. And then he'd put the mic in front of me, get a few words. Just, you know, he's talking by himself. So, we're just chatting along. And he's calling the race, and the pack comes by in the first lap, and way back, this kid comes probably 30 seconds behind the last place. And Wes Kane's like, oh, and there's, you know, Patrick Potato. Title sponsor is Sean Manel because he's cleaning up the rear. <laughs> Dude, 
30 seconds later, there's an angry mom pounding on the door to come in, just end that thing. <laughs> and he's just like, like, what? No big deal. But this chick was like, but then he just pulled it out of nowhere. Oh yeah, sponsored by Charmin Ultra, cleaning up the rear. Anyway, so it was funny you had to be there. Another little West Kane tidbit. There's people, including Zach Osborne, who are pissed that I called him Zach Pack or Snack Pack on TV. Like they think I gave him the nickname. West Kane gave him that nickname. That was from him. I just said it on national television. <laughs> so anyway, West Kane's a character. Should be a cool event. Check it out. Um, yeah, that's it. And that's our show. I want you to take us out with some sponsors. All right. Thank you guys. We will see you um, next in the next couple weeks. We'll see you at the next show. As soon as we can get uh, Chad Reed back on. Well, thanks to Chad. Thanks, Ping. Thanks, Donnie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And you can uh, show us your thanks by supporting the sponsors that support us and the sport. Because they don't only just sponsor us. They do a lot for the industry and a lot of teams and riders. Yamaha, the leader in power sports, as we've talked about. Their new Yamaha 250F is about to hit the showroom floor. Um, they've done some major upgrades as well, and it's kind of like the 450 now where you can do the app and all that. It's really tricky if you haven't seen it. Um, not only what it allows you to do with the bike, but you can set notes to remind you oil change. It keeps track of everything. So to me, it also can help you save money from not grenading a motor or something stupid. PowerDoc, 20% off. Go get one of those. Uh, you'll enjoy it. They do so many things, and, and, and it, it can be for you and the entire family. So for, for a unit that's about 200 bucks that gives you all the bells and whistles, it is amazing and something, like I said, the whole family can use. Less than that with our discount code. Yeah. Um, Method Race Wheels, 20% off using our discount code, Whiskey Throttle. Um, Method, just the leader in off-road. They dominate. Um, we sell a lot of uh, Polaris razors at the shop, and so many of them are leaving with methods because not only they look good, but they perform very well with their bead lock and their bead grip technology. And the tires that come that they make as well, very good, uh, especially for off-road. I know Donnie's tried them and loved them a lot. Our factory off-road racer, Donnie Bales, over here, sponsored by himself, kicking ass. Charmin. Charmin. Also. Yeah. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> <laughs> I'm not wiping up. I'm in the rear. I'm not wiping up. <laughs> he is the rear. Uh, SKDA graphics. These guys make so many um, cool designs. They're always uh, doing something different, something edgy. Um, and then the nice thing, too, is when you go lay them on, no bubbles, nice and easy. Um, use a little heat gun and you're done. Um, Dunlop, great tires. Uh, we heard Chad say that once upon a time he had a struggle with them. And. Um, but he's used them ever since, and so does everyone else, and everyone's been doing well. And I know that's the other thing that we talk about. When you invest in the racing, the riders give feedback, and that enables Dunlop to make a better tire for the races, which leads to better production. So yeah, and that was, it trickles down. That was what happened in that era, is Bridgestone made a hard push in the early 2000s. And they had all, all the factory teams. They had all the factory about. teams, so they're getting all that feedback, and their development ramped way up. And for about four or five years, that was the tire to have. They pulled completely out of the sport after the recession, and they haven't come back. And so and Dunlop's picked all that back up. And they doubled down. Dunlop yeah. did. So yeah, they I did. thought that was, one, ballsy, and two, I think it's paid off really well for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adidas, don't be a dick to your feet. Pro Circuit. Can I say something real quick? I want to give a shout-out to our buddy Al Van Noy, who is our connection at Adidas. Uh, anything that you've seen in this industry with that brand uh, is because of Al. And uh, he's battling cancer right now, so I just want to... Tip our cap. Tell them to keep fighting. Wish you the best, bud. Pro Circuit. 
they race, they win, they do a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff, you know, from suspension, everyone thinks of pipes, obviously, but um, even the, the, the motor that I'm running at the moment has some good uh, pro circuit work done to it, and uh, seems like whatever they make, it, it works and it does well. Nahila Concepts, you'll get a free gift using code Whiskey Throttle. Um, those guys are always making new trick stuff. In fact, we just uh, bolted on their aluminum anodized, uh, I wouldn't say foot pegs, more like foot rest for the Stacey bikes. Ah. And the, that brand's been blown up, and it's kind of cool seeing all the kids getting into it, but they're making a cool uh, bunch of bling. So uh, check this stuff out. Anyway, they always got something cool, unique, and now they even make stuff for the kids. So go check out Nahila Concepts. Seed Concepts. If you want to have a nice... After you've done with your Charmin Ultra cleaning up the rear, you want to sit on something that's good on the rear. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better than a seat concepts. Uh, I actually just went for a four-hour ride on the weekend on my dual sport, and no number this time. It was awesome. Fire department coffee, ping and I swear by it, no joke. I just smashed two cups already. He's had a couple himself. And also with them, 20% off, 10% uh, of the proceeds go to uh, injured firefighters and their families. Um, and like I said, the coffee's great. They deliver it to your door. They got everything from mild to wild, K-cups, everything you need. So there's something for everyone. OGO, best bags in the business. Um, I'm still using my bag from long, long ago because there's no need to change it. If something doesn't break, I like to keep it around a little while. Why not? Yeah. I give the new one to the kids and keep the old one. Paleo Ranch Foods. Ping loves their stuff. He'll tell you more about that just then. Yes, yeah. uh, Paleo Ranch Foods, you can find it at uh, most of your um, uh, Walmart stores right now. So Amazon. Go, go check them out, Amazon.com. You can get on there and order it, and they'll ship it right to you. Uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, that's easy, free shipping. Um, so just, yeah, get on and check it out. Amazing beef jerky, bacon really jerky, is. and bars that are all paleo certified. But man, it tastes like, some of them taste like a damn candy bar. Yeah, they're really, really good. Yeah, so. <laughs> pretty yeah, dumb. It's good, good stuff. And then Langston Motorsports, uh, obviously I know a little bit about that place. Um, right now, uh, it's been a crazy, this whole COVID thing, but I uh, mentioned it before, but we've sold a lot of motorcycles, quads, side-by-side stuff. Um, the one uh, reaction to that is a lot of the manufacturers that were shut down briefly, they retooled. So one of the things we're noticing is the 2021 model, so that, you know, the new models coming out are coming out earlier. You know, we've started getting stuff in July and even August now. So... Um, have a look on the sites, check our social media, uh, we got new stuff coming all the time, like we have the Yamaha 450, but any day now we're going to have the 250, um, so 2021 stuff rolling out soon, come check it out. Right on, well that's our show, thanks GL, thanks Donnie, I uh, appreciate Chad Reed taking the time again, like I said, and we will track him down for a part three, and one day we will get through this guy's whole life, alright, thanks for watching, we'll see you guys next time.